Slater foot there. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 51 of the ABZ football podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week as always it's Gavin J Baxter and Graham Steele gents how is it going good thank you all good here thank you yeah happier than Vinnie Bajowin with a plate full of sticky toffee pudding well I was just about to say in a week that saw Aberdeen social media all a tizzy with suggestions of the best place to get sticky toffee pudding in the city after Vicente Bajowin's Q&A session on the Don's Instagram. Now, he did offer he would potentially go around to someone's house if somebody was suggesting that they had the best sticky toffee pudding in the city. It's not just me that was uh, stopping to think, was this a euphemism? No comment. Yeah, do you want to elaborate on that? Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. A lot of people are offering up their sticky toffee puddings and... It's just a professional who likes a calorie-laden dessert. Nothing to see here. <laughs> a I... professional athlete, if I might add. Yes, yeah, so that's what I should have said. Our professional athlete. So is it a little bit different from the time when Darren Mackey used to troll around Tesco at Bridget on with Pop-Tarts and... 20 L&B. 20 L&B and various other I mean, substances, any... which probably any, a professional athlete shouldn't be consuming, one would imagine. Any dietitian will tell you a healthy diet has everything in moderation. <laughs> this is true. This is absolutely true. Um, this week, they also saw Airdrie take to the field with no less than eight trialists in their starting 11 and a further five on the bench in their preseason fixture against Cumberland Colts today. So clearly, Mr. and Mrs. Trialist have been very 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 busy in the Airdrie area in recent years that has the the feeling of our recent games and goals doesn't it where it's like not the same 10 every week for goodness knows how many weeks who's this boy <laughs> pretty much <laughs> he's turned <laughs> up at our pitch right let's assume he's one of us poor Chris doesn't know the name of everybody who's here regularly he's just standing like what the fuck am I who the fuck's this boy now anyway who's mind. Chris <laughs> <laughs> that saw Partick Thistle nearly unveil the kit of the season did you also see as well that they are going to release it now yep. as a special edition? I didn't see that. And the shorts are the shorts are made like a kilt. Fucking incredible! Oh, I didn't see scenes. that. Oh, I no. only I'd only seen the top. Yeah. I didn't realize that the the shorts like a, t- a part of this old tartan. They should just release it as the kit. They should have just gone out. I mean, I'm gonna buy it. I honestly am so tempted. I genuinely am so tempted by it, and it's fine because when I visit the in-laws now, it means I can look like one of the locals. So all good, all good. And also, Lee Griffiths, I saw this yesterday, take to the media complaining that certain people in the game don't want to see him back at a top flight club. Now, I'm, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I'll tell you what, the three of us in this podcast are three of those who absolutely do not want to see him back at a top flight club. Well, I mean, oh, not our I'd clarify, I don't really mind, I don't really care where he goes, provided but it's not to our club. Agreed. Absolutely. So it, it's been a weird week, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not been a particularly busy week from an Aberdeen perspective. So we're going to spend this week's episode taking a look back at what's kind of gone on with the Dons. Did anyone know where Aberdeen were this week? Portugal. Spain. <laughs> Graham's obviously not seen the joke. I have not seen the joke. So no, this just really worked out well. <laughs> this has worked out really well. The, the Aberdeen Twitter admin was very keen to ensure that we all knew they were in Spain at every fucking opportunity. So yeah, there we go. Before all eyes 
turn to our season opener on Sunday at Palmer. Can you believe we are? We're recording this on Sunday evening, as as always. We are now, well, this time next week, we will know the outcome of our first competitive game of the season. It just feels like last season ground to a halt. But hey, there we go. It's our first ever competitive fixture in Peterhead. It's our first ever match in the renewed group stages of the, the Premier Sports League Cup. So we're going to be joined by Colin from the Blue Tune podcast to get the lowdown on our opponents. And then after the break, we're going to bring you part two of our conversation with Don's legend, Stuart McKinney. Up first, news from Pataudry or I guess Spain this week. Pretty sedate one after how the last couple of weeks have gone. After all of our excitement last Sunday, nothing happened. No incoming signings to the first team squad. So far this week, no real outgoings other than the news that Kevin Hanrati would be heading out on a loan to League One side for Athletic for the season ahead. During the week, it was also finally confirmed that Northern Irish youngster Brendan Hamilton, he'd signed up for the club after leaving Gwentoran of Belfast, where he's come through their youth setup. Hamilton's a 16-year-old left-back who's represented his country at under-16 level previously. He was part of the Aberdeen side who travelled to the Algarve earlier in the year where he impressed managers Barry Robson. And Scott Anderson, Hamilton will now form part of the under-18 squad for the season ahead alongside a number of players who I can't remember their names of who joined signing full-time contracts with the club last week. All I'm going to say about that is some of those barnets on display, like the youth these days, it shakes me head. It's all right when you're that age because you can get a daft haircut, cut it and it grows back. Mm. Now it takes forever to grow back. So enjoy being able to play with your hairstylist boys because that... That will diminish over time. That, that little video is quite cool, though. I mean, that must have been an amazing feeling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Those guys of that age, you know, getting that sort of the first sort of media attention and signing your contract with the Dons, that must have been some feeling. So, fingers crossed, somewhere all of these guys go on to uh, actually feature for the Dons. I mean, two people on this call currently are rocking hair bands. So, um, I'm not one of them. There's a certain amount of pot kettle black going on here. We've lived through our mistakes, Gav. We've lived through <laughs> our mistakes. <laughs> Uh, the first team squad jetted out to, that's right, Spain last Monday for their pre-season camp. They were joined by Kel Roos and Anthony Stewart ahead of their moves from Derby and Wickham, respectively, becoming official on the 1st of July before Bojan Miofsky joined up with the squad on Tuesday evening. Now, the Twitter admin at Aberdeen got a little bit excited again here with the way that they framed this one because they had the whole driving to the airport and a new signing jets in and you're like, oh, fuck, who's it going to be? Jet? Um... And you think, oh no, it's just the boy we've already signed. He's just arrived. But don't say a new signing jets in. Come on, lads, it's got us all excited. We thought it was going to be Connor Ronan or Jim McGrath. Nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen as yet. Dave's gone a little bit quiet, I noticed, on social media the last couple of days. So I'm going to say for that one. I'm still being very, very patient. <laughs> so yeah, Bojan Mujowski flew in Tuesday evening to complete his medical and the formalities of his move from MTK Budapest before then joining up with the squad on Wednesday uh, through Saturday, when the squad then flew home. No sign yet of Ilber Ramadani as yet. The Albanian's visa process has been completed, but delays in his passport being returned to him meant he was unable to join up with the squad in Spain. The Albanian Royal Mail, clearly as reliable as the fucking Scottish version. Anyway, there we go. But it does appear that the squad have had a good old week in the sun. Uh, Look like plenty of hard work being done in training, it's fair to see. There seems to be a healthy amount of team building going on, which is always good to see because we've got so many different players coming in the door. Any any thoughts about this, chaps? We've got literally fuck all to talk about this week. I mean, can base this off of the um, Instagram Q&As with 
Vicente Bajawan and Jaden Richardson. Um, it does appear, yeah, that they, there's a good spirit amongst the camp, which is pleasing to see when there are so many new bodies, especially. Um, Jim Goodwin spoke in the kind of reflection of the of the camp that has been a good one and double, triple sessions in the in the sun in Spain. And where? Where? That's Spain. Spain, excellent. Yeah, just disappointing that Ramadani's not been able to join, and I guess that um, Jack McKenzie didn't make the trip on account of his injury. I've not seen any. I haven't seen any footage of him. But otherwise, everyone's come through all the sessions, all the work, uh, unscathed. And yeah, hopefully that's put them in good stead, and we're ready to get back to work again this week coming. One thing I will say: never, ever, ever fit a GoPro on one of the goalkeepers again, or any player. Oh, that was like watching WWE. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I had motion sickness through watching that. Just terrible stuff. Never do that ever again. Appreciated the idea, but yeah. No. Yeah, the idea was solid. Execution, not so much. Speaking of which, crazy ideas that came out this week. Did you see that Hibbs mic'd up Ryan Porteous in their preseason game against Hartlepool so you could get insight into his leadership qualities? I did not see that. What was it? Just swearing and then a trudge back to the dressing room after getting sent off. <laughs> One of these things, I ended up watching it going, that's given me no insight whatsoever into the player that Ryan Porter says, other than what I'd already thought. All that has done is confirm my existing biases, to be quite frank. I've just got images of Homer, you know, his brain with like the two monkeys. <laughs> kind of all I get there. Interesting comments from Jim Goodwin at the back end of the week, um, where he, in particular, where he was saying that Jack Milne has really stood out in the kind of the week they've been away in Spain, and that Mason Hancock also deserves a mention. And he, this was interesting. He said, it's thrown a spanner in the works for the season to come, which is a real positive from our point of view, which obviously I think indicates that at the very least, these two young lads have done enough to maybe make us rethink potential recruitment in particular areas of the pitch. Jack Millen, obviously, was, he was brought back from, he was, he was on loan at Breaking City last season. He was brought back in January early because he was out there he was meant to be at breaking for the season and the club had decided that they were going to bring him back he's he's typically been a defensive central midfielder right the way through his youth career but he's a good height he's like six foot four i think jack mill um and the club had kind of taken the view in january that they saw potentially a future for him at center half and they were going to take him back and start trying to develop him in that position so i wonder if that potentially means that we might not be looking at maybe taking in another center half that would give us a Give us a set of options, I guess, which would look something in the, the region of Scale, Stewart, Bates, Jack Milne, and Ross McCrory, if you absolutely needed to. So maybe we'd now decide that actually that's that's five options for two spots. That's more than enough. And the versatility of playing defensive central midfield if we need that as well. Um, yeah. All bonuses, all good things. Shows that Jim Goodwin's still buying into the philosophy of blooding youngsters if in fact they're good enough. And yeah, opens up space in the budget for perhaps not needing to get in that extra defender maybe allows you to do some more business up the further up the pitch, which I think is where we all feel the team needs the most help. And the Mason Hancock one's interesting because he was meant to go to our growth on loan. That was all done basically and done and dusted um, pretty much this time last week. Pretty much it was done and dusted. And then that got reined in after Jack, McCann- Jack, McKenzie? Jack McKenzie's injury at uh, Bucky last Saturday. And Hancock played predominantly, I mean, he, again, he's a defender, he's left-sided, he played predominantly for Sterling Albion last season on loan for them at left-back. I, I do wonder again if this means that we decide we've actually got enough in terms of coverage now at left-back, left-sided defensive area that we're not going to really look at 
at that area somewhere we need to strengthen. I, I personally felt we didn't really need to strengthen there anyway, even with Jack McKenzie's injury. I felt it was time for Keenan Aguenya to make the breakthrough. You've got Johnny Hayes, and then you have Jack McKenzie when he becomes fit again. So I didn't feel it was an area we had to necessarily divert a lot of attention funds towards. But it's good to know that that appears to be giving us options across the across the pitch. Liam Scales could also play left back if he really needed to. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say this last week. I've got a funny feeling this is going to be in Gwenya. He's going to be the breakout star this year. I'm the same. I, I felt the same um, towards the back end of last season. I felt that this would be in breakthrough season. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how much game time he gets. It's it's going to be interesting, but certainly it's positive, if nothing else, that we now have two youngsters who are potentially now capable of coming into the first-team squad in areas that we... It's been a while, I feel, since we've, especially at the centre of defence, it's been a while since we've really brought through players again in that area that really are starting to, to knock on the door to get into the squad and provide competition. Well, yeah, I mean, not since Scott McKenna, and he just kind of appeared yeah. a little bit out of nowhere. So, like I said, fully, very encouraging and shows the philosophy is still, still there in the management's eyes and it's all good as far as I'm concerned. And the good thing, of course, with this is that if you've got youngsters battering down the door into the squad, it means that you're potentially freeing up budget for, for other acquisitions in other areas and potentially allowing you to top up on that. And, you know, our understanding um, on the pod from, from our sources is certainly that we're absolutely still in the market. Uh, that's not going to be a secret to anybody, but probably at least three more is, is what we are led to believe striker and a wide attacker are the key roles out of those three that need to be filled and again that's not exactly rocket science that those are the roles that need to be filled um but yeah hopefully if that means you've got a little bit of extra pennies in the old pot to play with and it maybe means you can attract slightly better better options in the door i would agree with all of that i think my only well my biggest reservation currently around the defense is just a lack of experience not you know not aberdeen experience but the guys you've talked about that we would expect, I mean, this is um, on the basis that McCrory will feature in midfield for all of the season. I think, okay, well, maybe um, Stuart's got ex- experience, but I think in general, there's a little bit of a lack of experience in my opinion. I think I may be focused on, although Gallagher didn't work out, did have a lot of experience, Constantine had huge experience, for example. So there's a lot of con- experience going out of the team. I'm a little bit concerned that relying on youngsters kind of potentially sets us up for some of the problems we had last season because I don't really see an obvious leader and organiser there. But that's just my my personal take. I probably, the trade-off is it would be good to see a couple of young guys come in and maybe take a gamble on them. And given our budget isn't unlimited, there are definitely other areas of the team that need some surgery. So if that does free up some cash elsewhere maybe it's a gamble worth taking i'm very interested to see who we start in the back four next sunday against peterhead same here that's gonna be a real telltale sign of what the the team's gonna look like the rest of the season most intrigued who's gonna play right center back because i think stuart's been brought in to play that role and be that experienced leader i really like the cut of anthony stuart's jib by the way um he um he did one of the interviews on red tv this week i he's a he seems like a really good Fucking lad. That's all I'm going to say about that. Lovely stuff. I have a funny feeling. I, I think like everyone's obviously very excited about like Miofsky and all that kind of stuff for, for, for obvious reasons. Um, I have a funny feeling that our best, I'm saying this now, watch this as this goes horribly wrong. 
I have a funny feeling Anthony Street will be the best bit of business we did in the in the transfer window this season. I don't know why. I have a I have a feeling we have a rough timestamp of thirty minutes into episode fifty one. Graham, let's just remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After he nods home, a couple of own goals next week at Balmer. I think it's going to be interesting to see what that brings out in David Bates, who obviously played, I think, every minute he was probably available for after he signed mm-hmm. uh, late last August and see what he's made of and see just the shape, the makeup and how we're going to go. Very, very intrigued. One of you mentioned Declan Galkin a minute ago. Um, Wasn't me. Was me. Have you seen what squad number he's been given by St. Mirren? Oh, no. Um, can I guess? Go for it. Ten. You're fucking right. He's been given the number 10 shirts. <laughs> I was thinking what would be as absurd as number seven to better at Dundee, remember? Is that where we went wrong last season? Were we inadvertently Maybe. playing him out of position? Playing him in the wrong position. <laughs> he should be playing the hole. Trek Artista. Fuck me. Honestly, when I saw that yesterday, it was like, no, nah, come on, lads. Like, you've got to have another number available, surely. He's not even like... that late in addition to their... <laughs> no, it's not like he signed in the... You know, the 11th hour of the transfer <laughs> window or something. <laughs> he, he had the number 10. They played a, they played a pre-season match against uh, Linfield yesterday. And uh, I, saw the, I saw the team lines come through. And I was like, 10, Galker. I was like, can it be Declan Galker, surely? And I looked and I was like, no, oh, it's Declan Galker playing number 10. There we go. <laughs> Just threading little through balls into the forwards. Threading through balls to Curtis Main. <laughs> He's less of a danger to your defensive game there. Well, there might be something in that. <laughs> to just play him there I love the idea of Sibirbil. we signed experienced Scottish central defender Declan Gacker and we're playing him as far away from the defence as we possibly can we've had two training sessions and it turns out he's shit so <laughs> he's gone oh, now I can, I can just be as full on as I want to be yeah absolutely you don't have to worry now anymore um, the week in Spain Spain was rounded off on Friday with a bounce game against Fellow SPFL Premiership side St. Johnston in a game that ended, according to unverified reports, but you might again want to sit down for this one, ended in a 1-1 draw. Bojan Miofsky scoring for the Dons before Theo Bear, what a fucking name that is, equalised for the Perth side. Feed the Bear and he will score. I think we've got a friendly on Wednesday night at Glee Park, breaking and then we head to the opening fixture of the season at Balmer on Sunday. More on that just in a little bit but and but gents i mean at this point of the season we're a, we're a week away from the first game of the season which sounds ridiculous normally we'd be at a point to be like right how are we feeling what are our predictions for the season what are our aspirations what we what are we thinking but it still feels like it's way too early for that the kids just went off school for fuck's sake yesterday on friday but wait right now how are you guys feeling in terms of where we're at it's really difficult to know i feel so I was chatting to a few different guys at work this week, and you know, I suppose a bit of time has passed since the debacle that was last season. So people's frame of minds are maybe a little bit better than it was. And in general, people are quite enthusiastic about the signings. I think it's partly there's an element of the, the unknown and the mystery, and it's a little bit more exciting, like we've said, than scraping the barrel, the bottom of the championship, League One type stuff. So in general, anyone I chat to is quite enthusiastic about the signs we've made, still of the opinion that we need to make a few more. I don't think anyone, don't think any of you guys are going to disagree with me there. But I don't have a feel for really where we where we are. And we played Bucky, but you can't read anything into that because it was effectively 
a team each half. Yeah. And it was so early on. And this, you know, with the greatest respect to anyone in the Highland League, that's not the quality we're going to be up against more often than not. So it's not really a, a fair barometer. I just don't know where we... I can't see a starting 11. It's hard to know where we're at. Yet. Start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm more on the... It's a good start to the recruitment side, but I don't... This can't be the finished article. And I suppose my biggest concern is, although it's the League Cup group stages and we would not want to be in them, we are. It represents one of your chances of winning a trophy. So it is actually really quite important, or that's my take on it anyway. So although the season's starting earlier than we would like, it is starting and it doesn't really feel like we're quite ready for it. Yeah, we'll come on. We'll come up the Peterhead game in a minute or two. Um, but Gav, you, where are you at at the moment? I feel that we've got the core of a better team than we had last year. That just needs those finishing touches. Mainly speaking, those attacking, yeah. creative positions. And I kind of, it's difficult as Graham says because I feel in a way where the squad's almost in like a state of purgatory because. You've still got the Lewis Ferguson transfer situation looming over our head. Still Ramirez's um, situation in terms of whether he's going to be here. I still can't see it for the life of me. Um, I, I'm concerned that perhaps we're waiting for movement with regards to those deals before we can then pull the trigger on certain things. I'm encouraged that from our understanding that we are still looking for those additions. Um, another striker. Definitely another wide player and yeah, certainly another, maybe not necessarily a first team, first choice, number 10, but another option to give competition, bare minimum. I mean, I still feel we need a, a first team number 10, to be frank. You know, I think there's arguments to be said that maybe you shift Bajouin into that 10 role this season um, and you you recruit wingers to try and fill. I I, I actually personally think that Bajouin actually might be better off playing in the centre of the park rather than being stuck out in the wing. Just because I think we've seen it often enough with players, especially in Scottish top flight, that good wingers tend to just be doubled up on by by visiting teams to be told, or even teams playing at home who are just going to sit in. And if they identify that he's literally your only threat, that it can be quite easy to mark a winger out of the game to an extent, unless he's really on it. Whereas I feel like if you move him into, in, in field a little bit, you give him a lot more ability to influence the game with his skill set, which he has in abundance, you know, he's a, he's a tidy finisher, Peugeot. And you saw it, the goalie scoring against Hibs was a, a really good finish, first time effort. You've seen it this week in training. It's just training. So you can't read, you can't get too excited about it. But you see elements of what he can do in those central areas. And you kind of go, why not try and shift? Maybe they're going to try and do it. I don't know. We'll wait and see what happens. But I do think there's maybe a role for Peugeot to play slightly further in field than just on the wings. Maybe we were spoilt back in the day, but I don't see why we can't, if we get good creative players in, do what we did back in the glory days of Hayes, McGinn and Peter Paulton, you know, swap them around, make, don't give defenders a chance to to get a read on the guy and create this real unpredictable feeling. It's absolutely, definitely a, a lot to be said for that sort of um, setup, I think, going forward. Nice and easy. Just go ahead and find peak Johnny Hayes and peak Niall McGill. <laughs> well, jokes aside, getting better, more creative players. Guy's absolutely right. If, if, if everyone knows there's one guy, Although all people will do here is just boot him up in the air and he'll, he won't survive yeah. the season. And like you say, you can put two guys out in him because you know that if he, it's unlikely to beat two and if he does well, so what? You've got no one else creative. So we definitely need 
other creative players so that the opposition can't just do that. They have to actually go man-to-man and then you've got better players man-to-man, hopefully, and that's where you can create opportunities from. So time will tell, but I like the idea of Pujawin not necessarily being stuck out in the wing. I feel like if he's playing more, if he's a bit more involved in the middle of the pitch, even if it's just stuff like the ball comes into him, a quick turn, he's got easier options for a pass maybe, then obviously if he's on the wing, he's maybe got to pass the ball for further, he's got to beat someone, it's a little bit trickier. Um, so I'd quite like to see him maybe, maybe even if we use the League Cup to experiment yeah. a little bit and try stuff like that. What I would say though, to counteract that, is that by putting him in the number 10 role, we are shifting him closer to the Alan Powers and Murray Davidsons and Peter Harrings of this world. So in the words of Sam Allardyce, when people are calling for his head, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's true. But Murray Davidson is not that type of player, so it's always accidental. Yeah, I don't know where you're getting at, Gav. <laughs> not that type of player. Any of those three. Um, all I can hope is that after watching the Instagram Q&A that Stephen Gunn was straight up to Vinnie Bajowin's hotel room and was just slipping in a sticky toffee pudding bonus. I was hoping he's taking a fucking body fat measurement. <laughs> <laughs> if he starts fitting in the Jets old gear, then someone take those pudding spoons off him. Speaking of Jet, have you seen Jet's like working like overtime hard in Dubai on his training regime? And it's like, I can't remember who I spoke to about this the other week. Graham, you mentioned this as well a few weeks ago. You know, and you're like, dude, you had all these facilities available to you for fucking free as an under-contracted footballer. Why not just fucking use them when you were under contract rather than now having to be like, shit, I better like actually move my arse to go and do something. Maddening. Yeah, maddening. Bobby, Bobby Maddening. Some boy. Fucking hell. You know, one thing I think we actually, um, we forgot to talk about last week. Okay. The the news that came out, so it was in the media, I'm not sure it was confirmed by the club, but um, the chat that we have opened up further contract talks with Connor Bannon regarding extending his contract. Ah, yeah, that's right. We did miss that last week. Uh, is that, I, I can't believe that's a surprise that we're doing that. It's I mean, not a surprise, but I'm just glad that we are in fact trying to be proactive yeah. and get the concern there is that you know Connor Bann I'm sure has an agent that'll be saying to him listen just don't do it just don't don't commit anything yeah quite yet and then give it a year's time you know you're yeah. kind of almost worthless but then you can get more money for yourself so by all accounts he sounds like he's a pretty sensible lad so hopefully that all in fact comes up and we can get him signed up on a for extended deal and cash in for billions well hopefully and maybe you know if the club's not too aggressive and they don't obviously you want to put a price in the contract but don't go mad and putting in 15 20 million we, we, we always end up selling our players for less than they're probably worth especially if you look at you know an equivalent player at the old firm goes for multiples of anything anyone else can sell for so the reality is him signing an extended contract isn't going to stop him getting a move because if he's as good as we hope he's going to be you're talking about the teams that basically have Scrooge McDuck yeah Money yeah. baths, it's not going to matter how long a deal he's got on Aberdeen because they'll get him if they want him. I'm just hoping that we're making those real efforts to protect the investment. I'm sure we will be. I mean, at the end of the day, Conor Barron's uh, he's an Aberdeen fan through and through. Family are, they're all really level-headed. They know exactly what they're getting into. If we offer him an extra couple of years in his deal, which becomes first-team, genuine first-team squad salary figures, he's never not going to sign it to, to, to make sure that the club get 
you know, the right thing done by them at the end of the day. And the, the great thing now about the whole Calvin Ramsey thing is that we, Gavin's looking at timestamps again. I can see him to be like, that's not going to happen. Timestamp, roughly 45 minutes. The good thing about this is the Calvin Ramsey thing now does allow us to say to people, Gavin, you touched on it before, that the biggest clubs in the world are looking our way. Uh, potentially, if you do the if you do the job on the park, then big big teams are going to potentially be looking at you, and you'll get a move if you keep knocking out of the park. So, I don't think there'll be any real issues about Connor Barton signing his extended deal. And we're just glad to see that we're actually doing it because I was concerned that we'd kind of gone all oh, we only signed him up on a new deal in what January when he came, when he came back from Kelty and like oh was it a bit too soon or whatever. But the fact we've given him the number eight shirt straight off the bat shows how much that Goodwin believes he's part of the first team set up now not just the squad but as an actual first pick the international recognition he's getting obviously his performance against Belgium under 21s wasn't it for Scotland was exceptional I mean it even had like guys out there in the Scottish media who wouldn't typically give uh, an Aberdeen under 21 player you know the time of day they wouldn't even waste a breath talking about them the fact that they were raving about it against one of the top teams in the world in the sense of Belgium from a full-blown national level there's scouts going to be watching belgium games all over the you know all over the place at the moment and he he, he was exceptional that evening so it's a sensible thing from us to make sure that we're trying to tie him up on a deal that means that hopefully we can smash even the calvin ramsey <clears throat> uh, transfer fee when Connor Barron eventually departs because again I, I feel that Barron is one of these players that we should probably enjoy him while he's at Pataudry because i don't think he's going to be here for for very long interesting thing as well this week Jim Goodwin was talking in the media about the fact he's got a decision to make about the captaincy. Now, I think we'd all agree that there is probably a decision to be made about that. Um, thoughts? I found it interesting in one of the later Twitter videos from the training camp that with Johnny Hayes doing his best Rob McLean impression that he referred to Joe Lewis as captain. Yeah. I would imagine you'd like to think that the squad will know this decision before any of us have an idea about this so whether that's maybe he's still gonna be club captain or whatever that bullshit term was we came up with last year yeah i think yeah we're all a, f- a fresh change wouldn't be a bad thing in my mind to allow joe lewis to simply concentrate on his goalkeeping um and he can still as we've said i think, I think andy murray said or I can't remember who commented this that he can still you know be kind of like an ambassador he's very good at that kind of stuff yeah i'm of the view that a fresh start in terms of leadership would be a good thing. Who would you pick though? Who who is who is if if you're moving the captaincy off of Lewis, who would you pick right now, out of the squad right now? Oh, Mr. Aberdeen, Christian Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> Captain America himself. Well, you might have a you, you might have a decision to make in two weeks' time about who you're giving the captaincy to again. <laughs> um, I think we commented on this towards the tail end of last season that Ross McCrory was playing his way. Um, certain trips abroad might have um, everyone was of the opinion it felt to me anyway like everyone was of the opinion that it was either should either be McCrory or Ferguson if he was to stay I think we're all pretty doubtful of Ferguson staying so go back to McCrory yeah I'd stick with him still Graham? I would probably have to agree to be honest with it whether Lewis is a captain or not he's still an experienced player so if he doesn't have the band it's not like he's going to be silent and not calling out things he sees on the on the pitch so to to a degree it doesn't really change anything keeper or a defender as a captain to me is kind of logical because you can kind of see the whole pitch you know so you have an idea of what's going on ahead of you or what to watch out for so 
McCrory maybe sitting in that midfield position where I hope he'll be feels like a a good shout. I know she maybe split opinion a little bit with what happened to me. It's not that big a deal. He's one of the few that throughout all of last season, I don't really think I could point a finger at in terms of application or desire. So I would be quite happy with that. I think Ferguson, though he's young, has got that about him. But like Gav, be surprised if he's still here. I'd be quite happy if he's still here. I like Lewis Ferguson. But I'm more coming round to might just be good for everyone if he was to maybe move on. We get some cash. He gets to push on if that's what he thinks moving from Aberdeen is going to allow him to do. So I'd be quite happy if McCrory had the armband if indeed it's not going to be Lewis. I think Ross McCrory is a good blend of the likes of Russell Anderson and Graham Shinney just in terms of they really lead by example. Um, And there's no one else. I mean, I know Anthony Stewart's an experienced player, but he's obviously fresh right in through the door. I don't know if anyone else fits that criteria within the current playing squad. Does he lead by example by going to Seville? I don't really care. Ooh, I'm throwing that one in there. You put your fishing rod back. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I mean, it is difficult though because I, I'm not sure when I look through this when I look through the squad as it currently sits at the moment. I see a whole group of natural leaders in there. I think out of them, McCrory probably is the one that you'd go. He seems like the best fit for the role as it sits at the moment. I, there was a little part of me was like, I wonder if he decides to go real curveball and give it give it to like Anthony Stewart, for example. But that's a massive ask for a guy making his first move to the Scottish Premiership. You're not entirely sure if he's even going to be a first pick, although I think he probably will be. To then go, by the way, you're also you know team captain as well. When you don't even really know the the squad yet, it's a big it's a big ask on that one. What I thought was interesting, and I, I, it was interesting in one sense, but it's probably not that interesting in reality. Uh, Kel Roos started the game against St. Johnston in Spain. Um, I presume that was just to get a proper look at him in a game environment. I think as well, we, we, we switched up at halftime. But the initial the initial 11 looked to me like a starting 11, a good one would pick. And I don't know whether this does mean actually that Joe Lewis's position is potential, whether even that was just a a little bit of a warning shot from Goodwin to Lewis. That It's like, just because Lewis knows the bo- the games against St. Mirren are so fucking boring. St. Mirren, St. Johnston, <laughs> either are that he's decided, no, even in the preseason, I'm not playing St. Johnston. I suspect it's more a case of Joe played 45 against Bucky, Tom Ritchie played 45, Kel yeah. came in. I think there's probably more to do with just getting game time than sending a message. I imagine it was about game time, but at the end of the day, if it's game time, you could still say, well, you Kel play the second half. Is it potentially a little bit of a, look, this boy's come in and we're going to look at him as part of the starting? I would certainly hope so. We've been calling for a competition for Julius. Oh, fuck me. Tell all me year. Since, um, probably since Gary Woods rocked up. So, by the way, did you see Kel Roos in the gym doing, um, what do you call them? Pull-ups. <laughs> I don't know. You're talking, pull-ups. There we go. Yeah. Pull-ups. Cheating. The boy's like basically as tall as the bar. Well, you couldn't also see his, you couldn't see the lower half of his body, so you couldn't tell if it was just like Johnny Hayes sitting there. It's like <laughs> disappointing, really disappointed by the Aberdeen admin that they didn't have somebody voicing over. It was it was either Vicente or it might have been Jaden Rich. It was Dante Povara was fucking pumping iron like nobody's business, and I was really disappointed that nobody just pitched in with a classic from uh, Team of the Decade, pump that iron. Well, it was Tio, is what Willie said back in the day, but you know. 
pump that iron, Dante. Dante Pavara seems to be doing quite well in preseason as well. Actually, set up the goal for uh, Miofsky the other night. I wonder if Dante Pavara might be a bit of a dark horse this season as well. I was encouraged by him at the end of last season when he came into the team and uh, got some minutes. And I'm, I think there's something there. I really do. I think there might be something in there. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure, but I think there might be a little something. I think there's also just a part of it that really wants him to do well, just to get up the people who decided he was shit before he'd like seen a second of him. So, yeah, I really would like him to become. I, I when I've seen him play, he reminds me in his stature, nothing else so far, of like kind of Tom Rogic. He's kind of that kind of like height and looks a little bit awkward physically. If he could be for us what Tom Rogic was for Celtic against us then I'd be <laughs> more than happy with that that would be absolutely ideal anyway I feel like we've been able to spin out nothing that's happened this week in a relatively decent length of segment which is fucking incredible chaps well done we've, we've honed this in on 51 episodes well done one final point one thing that hasn't happened but I'm wondering if it's going to all this UV stuff's Total death, silence. Total <laughs> silence. How come we've not had any Italian jokers that you may don't want in on trial well, or anything like that? To be fair, the transfer window's still got a while to run. True. That'll be a last minute.com job when we get Ad- Adamo Montgomery. Oh, by the way, St. Johnston, you poor oh, bastards. I know, I know, I know. What the fuck? Just for more reasons than just signing Adam Montgomery, but that's, you know. The icing on the cake. He played against them in the, the last week of the season. They literally had a first-hand look at how fucking terrible a footballer he was. They're maybe applying the Craig Bryson, Stevie May theory. Possibly. I heard that Stevie May should have had a hat trick against us in Spain, but but he didn't. Didn't. So that never. That you know. I don't know what that says. Anyway, let's move on. So. Sunday sees the start of our 2022-23 campaign with our first ever trip to Peterhead for a competitive fixture as we take our place for the first time in the renewed group stages of the League Cup. And to find out what we can expect from a team who seem as though they might be even more of a shambolic state than we are, we spoke to Colin from the Blue Toon podcast. Colin from the Blue Toon podcast, welcome along to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Uh, thank you very much for having me. Not too bad. Um, uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Listen, we really appreciate you taking the time out to to have a wee chat with us tonight about um, our upcoming fixture at the Balmer, obviously, at Aberdeen's first ever competitive trip to Peterhead. It's going to be an interesting one. We're recording this on Sunday evening, so in seven days' time, we will know how this one has panned out. Um, obviously, both teams, I think it's fair to say, have still got a bit of work to be maybe try to get done this week um, ahead of that game next Sunday, which does make this a little bit of a of a difficult one for us to talk about. But let's just start, I guess, with, you know, I, I guess Peter Head last season eventually finished up in seventh in League One. Um, eight points kind of clear of the relegation playoff spot in the end. So a reasonably strong end to the season because it did look for a little while that you might get dragged into that, that mess a wee bit. Finished bottom of your League Cup group last season as well and they were eventually knocked out of the Scottish Cup at the fifth round by by Dundee but it's fair to say similar to Aberdeen a real close season of transition for Peterhead yeah um, and I think it's it's one that maybe we didn't expect as you said um, we had a really good run towards the end of the season um, guys like Grant Savory was, was hitting the, the ground running uh, Brett Long in goals was doing well so we thought you know keep a, a good core of those 9, 10, 11, 12 players for, for next season we should do well. And then all of a sudden, 
eight, nine, ten, eleven have all left, including the the, the five we had in loan as well. And, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're kind of then, you know, you're, you're pinching and poking, trying to get players in, and you know, guys like Scott Brown who we maybe did know was leaving because he was always wanting to have a, a crack at uh, full time but um, it doesn't make it any easier and then now we're at a stage where uh, after the, the game against Dundee we've got five or six trialists playing for us and at the moment we, as things stand we're recording we don't have a, a registered goalkeeper even within the squad so yeah it's, it's a bit, it transitions a, a, a polite way to put it <laughs> um, uh, there are other words we could maybe mention but uh, what, yeah, would you go for what would you go for? Shambolic uh, situation, you know, at this stage. I know maybe some of the 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 moves like Grant moving uh, to full time that was written in his contract that if a full time club came in for him, he could uh, go uh, without the club stopping him. But you know, you, you would like to think that even if somebody had made an approach, they would have some players, you know, almost ready to come in. Um, so I don't know if the if the recruitment's been a bit um, backward this this summer, or or maybe the, a lot of these guys moving have have maybe caught them on the hop slightly. But um, yeah, it's it's certainly been an interesting interesting summer. And and you know until end of August, end of September, whenever the the, the windows uh, shut, it will be just the same. It's about a patchwork team. I, I know it will be uh, uh, for the Aberdeen game. Yeah, I mean, like you just said there, I think it's 14 players, I think I counted yesterday, have, have left since the end of last season. That includes, like you say, some guys who've left, who had their loans, just finished, like Ryan Duncan, yeah. for example, returning to Aberdeen. But only six, I think, have come in the door so far, which includes um, a return for Ryan Dow and then Paul Dixon, who've obviously joined from Dunfermline and Falkirk, respectively. But just what you touched on there, it's an interesting point about some of these guys having effectively clauses in their contract if they get the option to go back to full-time football then the club can't stand in the way. They're, they're free to go. That must make it really difficult though for, for Peterhead because you guess at the moment, you guys almost find yourself in this kind of like limbo land from an ex- to a certain extent, don't you? Sitting in League One at the moment. This, this will be, this will be what, fourth season in a row back at League yeah, One fourth, level? Yeah, fourth uh, season in a row at this time, yeah. But you've seen like clubs like, you know, Cove, Kelty, obviously coming into League One this season, um, Ember City as well, who've got, significant cash backers behind them and are obviously just really keen to make a real leap at heading towards obviously at least the championship level and possibly beyond must make it really difficult then for Peterhead now as well to attract players if you've got teams like I say like Cove for example who are what 50 miles south not even that I guess but are probably paying way way more in terms of there's if you've got guys who want to drop out the championship for example must make it really really difficult for Peterhead on the recruitment front I think when even when Cove were props in, in League Two, we knew we weren't going to be in the, in the same market. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean in terms of bringing in players, I think um, I, I use Grant Savory as an example again. But he obviously had been released from Celtic; he'd missed a year uh, through injury. Um, so Jim brings him in with the, the, the almost selling him and saying, "Look, come in, do well, you'll get a move to, to, to somewhere else." And that's kind of how. Um, the club sort of sells itself in terms of uh, recruiting players and, and bringing in people. Um, you go back to, to Ryan Dow a couple of seasons ago, uh, he he dropped out of League Two, then got to move up to the Championship with Dunfermline. So uh, it, it does it does work well that way. But as you said, it, it's it's year contract, so every year it's almost the same. Yeah. You know, the last couple of seasons they've tried to um, tie people down to two or three year deals, um, and to an extent it has worked, but. If you're going to allow them to have clauses in their contract where they can go full time 
it's almost negating that two-year deal. So, yeah, it can be frustrating at times. It does it does bring in, we can bring in players, you know, like to Paul Dixon, which I don't think anybody would have really expected, but mm-hmm. um, he's maybe the wrong end of 34, 35 now, but still, still a half-decent kind of player. Absolutely, and it's been like a really disrupted pre-season as well, hasn't it? I mean, I think I saw... Obviously, scraped through on a penalty win against Inverurie Locals uh, a couple of weeks ago in the Elgin City kind of anniversary game. And then a 2-0 defeat to Elgin City as well. Again, Peter Head's team, both those games dominated by trialists. Mm-hmm. And then uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, Dundee, who obviously came out of the Premier League uh, back at the Championship this season, won that one 4-0. Looked pretty comfortable as well, the highlights I've seen for it. We touched on it, Peter Head had six trialists in that game. You said earlier on you were at that game yesterday. I mean... It must be so difficult to try and take anything out of that game when you've got so many trials on the pitch. And what's it even like? Where, where right now are you kind of expecting this season? Even I say the season, just even like the next couple of weeks. It's just, I just, you have you watched the game uh, yesterday, and okay, the guys are the other. They're obviously they haven't been training with the, the, the team that they want, but you just kind of think there's obviously a reason why they're still available at this stage. You know, we're only a week away from it, the season starting here in Scotland. So there obviously there's a reason why these guys are available. And you're, you're scratching your head thinking we could really struggle here this season, not just um, in the, in the league cup, which I think to be honest with you, we can maybe put that down as a, as a dead rubber, all the whole, those four games. Um, but even before we even get into the league camp, we really are struggling. We can't get the players in at the minute or, or perceived we can't be getting the players in. So, you know, anything around about uh, seventh or eighth would be an absolute bonus at this stage. And it's the interesting one because Millie said earlier on, no registered goalkeeper on the books as we speak right now. Um, as fair as I said, I don't think the boy that was in the sticks yesterday is going to be getting a contract either, I don't think. No, I, I, I heard... Um, He's not even got to be in the country when the season even starts. I think he's across. He's, he's got a scholarship over in America, um, so he's only just across for, for the summer. Okay. You know, a, a busman's holiday, if you like, and then <laughs> back across again. Um, so I don't know, but I, I did hear um, Jim's post match after saying that he, there is there was supposed to be somebody else, but he had to pull out for for uh, personal reasons. I think it was so. The, the look looks as though there might be somebody in in line, um, whether it's just to cover. The, uh, the League Cup I don't know but um, yeah that's certainly a, a path that we need to be uh, uh, filling pretty quick because that was I'm right in thinking that was your last pre-season game yesterday wasn't it? Yes yeah. I, yeah. so that's you guys done now Aberdeen play I think we've got Brecon City on Wednesday night I don't know what sort of team we'll put down to Brecon for that one to be honest because um, we're pretty light at the moment on pre-season games as well it's a bit weird it's like I don't know whether we're planning to use the League Cup as almost a quasi pre-season for us as well as obviously try to get up and running because it's, it's, it's an important match for Aberdeen on next Sunday as well I mean Jim Goodman has not had the best of starts this time obviously in, in charge of Aberdeen so he needs to get off up and running I think most of us looked at the group when it came out and we're I think we, were, we most of us probably felt it could have been a lot worse there were there were teams in the in the, in the groups in in the league who were like I want to really avoid teams like Kelty, even Cove to an extent, who have got that kind of momentum, that upwards momentum in the moment. But I did always think that the Peterhead game when it first came out, and because it was the first game in the group, and because it's live on Premier Sports, and with what happened to Wraith Rovers last season, it was always a bit of a grave. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I was always like, uh, and because it's the, it's the local derby thing as well, and you're like, oh fuck, I don't like, I don't know about that as the first one out of the hat. But then the more I've been hearing about how things have been going with you guys all pre-season, I've been like, well, this maybe that hasn't worked out too badly for us at the moment. But I'm saying that right now, I'm waiting for trialists A through G to be on the score sheet next week. And 
it being a humbling uh, a humbling afternoon in Peterhead for Aberdeen. Well, you'll you'll be pleased to know that the trailers aren't going to be playing because they, they kind of play. Uh, oh, can they? Right? It's, oh, it's, it's it's the rules. Um, I'm afraid that they they Mr. and Mrs. Trailers want to be coming up for the for the uh, the farm event. So yeah, well, we're, we're it, it makes it even worse. We might only have like one player on the on the bench <laughs> come uh, uh, come next week. So I mean, that's how uh, how bad it's getting. Um, whether or not they, they, they might look at. Changing that rules for for next season as our, and, and use it as, as a toilet. Um, I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it just shows how how bad we're struggling at the minute. Is it me? Has it has the first fixture of the group stage of the, the league cup? Has it come forward this year? Has, has it come around quicker than normal? It feels like it has to me, but I don't know if that's just a perception thing or what it is. No, I think it's it's the, the the normal. Yeah, it has always been this the first week of July. Yeah, this is the first weekend of July. I, I know it's been a while since. You guys have been in the League Cup, and normally you'd be uh, still still uh, having your break. But yeah, normally it is the the first sort of weekend because okay. um, always because I think once one season it was the schools was finished on Friday um, for the summer holidays, and then the new season was starting on, on the Saturday. So yeah, it does get a bit uh, a bit ridiculous. Well, that was what it was that got me today because like, the kids have just come off on school yesterday, so I was like. Can it be the start of the football season the week after? Because they're away the summer holidays, and I wasn't sure if it was because it was World Cup year and with it being in Qatar and it being everything's been condensed this season. I wasn't sure if they brought it a couple of weeks forward. But is that then how you guys have almost seen the League Cup for the last couple of seasons? Then it's almost to treat it like a quasi pre-season set of fixtures, almost. Yeah, I think um, I think Jim doesn't uh, doesn't sort of uh, make any bones about it. I think his priority and the club's priority has always been the league. Yeah. Excuse me, um, and, and staying in in League One or, or uh, winning League Two if, if we were in League Two. But you know, uh, to an extent, if you look at it, well, are we really going to win the League Cup? Probably not. If we've got a tie like we have against uh, Aberdeen at home, yeah, that's going to be good because obviously it's going to be good for the club. But my finances coming in, same with the Scottish Cup, um, you can get a plum tie at home, and that's probably the only thing you're really looking for. So you should be getting through those early rounds. Like we did again uh, last season against Dundee, although it was moved to the Monday night, and that was a bit of a shambles as well because you know the crowd probably went from uh, full to maybe a couple of thousand, so it, it did affect it. But yeah, I think that's how the club see mm. these cups, and I think, and, and to be honest with you, I think a lot of cl- clubs, you know, championship and below, would, would see the same thing, um, unless you can get off to a really good start. I, you know, if we somehow manage to get a win on next week. And then go to Wraith Rovers and pick up something on the Tuesday or uh, on the Wednesday, sorry. Then you're then you're looking at it and going, actually, we can maybe get through here. Yeah. But anything above that would, would be a bonus. It's going to be an interesting one, like you say. I mean, you touched on there. Your aspirations think this season's kind of seventh, eighth would be in the moment where you guys are would would represent uh, a pretty successful season. It sounds like. Does that kind of do you think that, that almost in a way now is where kind of Peterhead are starting to get to? Do you think they're struggling? Like you said earlier on, it's like a fourth season in a row at League One level now. Struggling just a little bit to make that kick on to the next the next step, especially when you see some of the teams that are starting to come up through the through the pyramid system as well now. Yeah, I think as well you've got to look at the League One as a whole and see how many full-time teams yeah. there is in there now. And that, and that is... You know, a lot of uh, two came down from uh, the championship. You know, Queen's uh, Queen of the South and Dunfermline have now joined, uh, as well as Kelly, who although aren't full time, will probably be making strides to to go to that hybrid 
what Airdrie are to do and maybe what uh, Cole will be looking at doing as well. So, yeah, year in and year out, it, it gets more and more difficult. And it, that that buffer, if you like, at the bottom of the teams, like so last season, uh, Dumbarton and, and, and East Fife were really poor. So that, you know, that buffer gets smaller and smaller yeah. every year. So now we're looking at it and thinking, well, who's running about this? You look at Clyde, um, Edinburgh City or... or Sorry, FC Edinburgh. FC Edinburgh. We should be, we yeah. should be calling them. Yep. And uh, the, the, that's the kind of teams in, in Alwa, perhaps, maybe as well, that were going to be running about us. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does get a bit more, more difficult. Um, it, it does mean that, you know, it, it's a more competitive league. But I think if anybody's going to be honest, be anything higher than I said, the seventh or eighth would be would be an absolute bonus. Yeah. I, would, I will say I would, I would take it. But, you know, um, You've got to be realistic and say uh, if we can get if we can avoid ninth or tenth, then that would be a good season. Like you say, like it's it's a tasty looking League One this season. That's fair to say. I mean, there's some big big clubs in there. I mean, like you say, you've got Airdrie, Alwa, Clyde Dunfermline, um, FC Edinburgh, Falkirk. Who? What is this? Is this Falkirk? Is this Falkirk's fifth season? Uh, this is their fourth because fourth. they they got relegated same uh, the same week come up so. Um, in fact, their, their, their first game in League One was at Bombay, and it ends up being a, a nil-nil. So that's right. So you got Falkirk again, desperately trying to get out of League uh, One. Kelsey, who'll be throwing money at this, like nobody's business. Montrose, who's been going really well the last couple of seasons, they'll be fancying mm. their chances up the top. But your, yourselves, Peterhead, and then Queens, obviously, who've come down from from the Championship as well. And that's the thing is, that, like when you see, I guess teams like Cove and that who are just being bankrolled, you kind of almost, I guess, are like, right, just get them up and get them out as quickly as we possibly can. <laughs> and then hope that like some dross appears, like, you know, and then for two teams out of the Championship to be dropped out, it's like, fucking hell. Like, and and they're, it's not small teams out of the Championship either. It's, there's an argument to be made actually that League One's actually got the bigger teams in it this season than the Championship does to a certain extent. Um, it's going to be a highly, highly competitive league in there um, this season. And like you say, it's, um, yeah, as you say, seventh, especially where you guys are at the moment with the lack of players on the books. Um, seventh looks like it would be a, a miracle job by Jim McAnally uh, going forward. So let's, um, let's, let's just look at then again next week. What are, what, what are we thinking predictions-wise? This is obviously very, very difficult to do right now because as I say, who knows where, where you guys end up? I think Aberdeen are still in the market for a number of players at this moment in time. Who knows what we end up fielding next week? At least although we're not in the position quite yet where we're potentially to sign an emergency goalkeeper at this moment in time. Um, I mean, even next week, what would what would that what, what would look like a successful afternoon for you guys next week? Do you think? I think just it's just keeping it competitive. I think you know if if it immediately goes two or three early on, I, th- I think. You would, you would, you would, it would almost get embarrassing, I think. But um, you know, if if we can get eleven players into the park first and foremost, that would be, that would be a bonus. Uh, but no, if we could keep it, as I say, keep keep it competitive. Um, uh, anything, I don't know, but anything less than two or three nil would be, I guess, would be a good result. Is it a sellout on the home side? It is now obviously on the away end. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think there's a few few hundred left. Um, but they'll get stopped up before uh, next week. Aye, there you go. Should be a good atmosphere, though. It's always a good... I've always enjoyed coming up to Peterhead for games and pre-seasons and stuff before. We heard the rumour there's meant to be a barbecue next week. Barbecue? Apparently so. Oh, could be. There we go. Everyone's bringing their cans for the barbecue, whether it's actually happening or not, it's another matter. <laughs> oh, well, you know what the weather's going to be like next week. <laughs> oh, I absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> Listen, looking forward to it. I can't make it, unfortunately. Graham, are you heading up? 
No, I go on holiday, unfortunately. So like you, I've been a couple of times for pre-seasons or just if I've had a free mm. weekend, I'll just go and watch Peterhead now and again. And I quite like it there. So it's a bit of a shame I can't go there. These things are always a little bit better when you've got a vested interest um, in it. And I think, I thought Aberdeen would sell out. It's not that far away and there's a, you know, sort of right in the, the heartlands of the support. So it's good that the home crowd's going to go for a sellout as well. Because that's, like you said earlier, Colin, it's good for for your club, gets a bit of money in the door. And also, although it's effectively probably looked on upon pre-season for both of us, a pre-season in front of a, a full house is a lot more exciting than a pre-season against a team you've never heard of and no, and nobody really cares. So yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that I can't manage that actually. Because when I think I saw the dates, I was thinking, oh, that's fine, it's a Saturday. But I, I assumed the game through the Saturday. I was like, that's fine, great. I'll get myself along to that. And then I don't know if we could shift it to yeah. Sunday or if that's the way they came out. So, yeah, a bit of a pity to, to miss out on that one. But we'll see Blame TV once again. It's been where the Plum Tie Premier are obviously expecting a shock result on Sunday, which is why we've been moved to the, the Sunday. So, hey, listen, <laughs> we'll wait and see what happens. Um, Colin, thanks for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. I appreciate your time. No, I appreciate uh, you asking me. One of all four of these uh, crossover uh, podcasts. That's what it's so, all about. Uh, we should be uh, spreading the, the, the goodwill between each other. Absolutely. Wish you and Peter Head all the very best for the rest of the season, except for Sunday, obviously. Goes without saying. Uh, yeah, I would I would uh, say the same. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Colin, top man. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. So gents, after we spoke with Colin there, what are we thinking now for next for next Sunday? That our recruitment doesn't look so bad because we've we can field a starting eleven and probably a bench. Yeah. So we are light years ahead of uh, ahead of Colin and Peter Head. Stephen Gunn and Darren Mowbray were having that up as a side-by-side on the PowerPoint to Dave yeah. Cormack when it all goes to <laughs> shit. But look, it could have been like this. How are you competing against your local rivals? <laughs> I think it's really difficult. I mean, there's nothing you could read into their recent performances because, <laughs> like, as in like 50% of the team was trialers, so they won't be there. So you don't even know. It's not like you can say, right, okay, the, the nucleus of the team that has represented them the last couple of games. See when Colin said that a bit about the goalkeeper? That's absolutely that crazy. Because I watched the highlights and I was like, well, that keeper's not getting a fucking get a, getting a phone back again because he was at fault for at least three of the four, I think. And then to find out that he's basically here just for a couple of weeks and he's going back to the States, it's just like, holy shit, that's unbelievable. The fact they don't, at this moment in time, Sunday before, a week before, Peter Head do not have a, a goalkeeper registered to them is just like, Long may that continue, or at least until the 11th. <laughs> yes, absolutely, definitely. I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, obviously, they're, they've not had a chance to, to sort of build a, a team. We are a work in progress. It's going to be really early. We just need to win. I don't think we're going to batter them. I don't. These things don't usually work out the way you think or expect them to. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a bit of a slog. But I do expect Aberdeen to win. And I think it's really important that we do. And we didn't get the new manager bounce under Goodwin. So I think in a lot of people's eyes, myself included, it's hard to figure out what we're going to get from him. So getting the new season off to a winning start. Because let's be honest, the, the League Cup represents a chance for a trophy, albeit it's really early on. But it does. So it is important that we progress to the groups and the best way to do that is to start off with a win. So I'm expecting 
a relatively low scoring, not particularly exciting game, but I do think Aberdeen are going to. On the basis of the chat coming out of Peterhead, um, I think we were in a very good position to start this group stage with a win. I'm hopeful that before then we'll have maybe one or two more additions in the squad to create a little bit more of buzz amongst the, the people that will be travelling there. Unfortunately, I missed out on uh, getting a ticket. So... You missed out on the ballot, Gav. You're not a top red. Oh, I just didn't get round to even applying. So, <laughs> um... so when you say you missed out, you, you didn't actually do anything. Yeah, I, what no, really I didn't mean. miss out. Like... I, I missed out by dint of not bothering. On, I missed out on the basis of my own incompetence. It's kind of like Aberdeen in the Cups last year. Right. So, um, but yeah, Graham's right. Like the Cups are enormous we saw last year we went out at the first opportunity because the team wasn't good enough it wasn't ready it wasn't prepared um i think it's important for also the supporters that we get off to a good start can someone remind me what aberdeen's record win is 13-0 against peterhead right 14-0 what's the score next sunday i've said that i need, I need to check that because I, I don't want to get that wrong i'm sure that's the case but you know when you're like that's a number I've heard before. Yes, 13 nil against okay. Peterhead in 1923. 1923. Okay, well, nearly nearly a century later, 14 nil. Vinny Bajowin buying everyone a sticky toffee pudding. <laughs> Euphemism or not? Once again, no comment. <laughs> there we go. I mean, like, I think uh, we spoke about it in the same with Colin. I think when the fixtures first came round, I think that we all looked at that group and went, okay, that could have been a lot worse in terms of who we could have drawn. And then you saw the first fixture come out, it's been Peter Head away and it was a bit like, oh, I don't know, like that could be a bit of a, we've got a lot of transfers to get through and we need to gel a squad very quickly and thought it could be a bit of a sticky wicket. And then from hearing how bad Peter Head's pre-season has been, and I, and I know I've put the jinx on this, I put the jinx on it yesterday on Twitter after they got beat before now by Dundee. But Peter Head seems to be in an absolute mess of a place right now. I expect us, even even if we'd made no signings in the summer months, I would still expect us to have enough in our team to have gone to Peterhead tomorrow in the situation, in the state that they're in at the moment and get a win. Nothing that uh, we spoke to Colin about has made me change my mind on that. So for me, it would be a comfortable Aberdeen win, 3 or 4-0. The only, problem, the only concern I do have is I don't know whether or not Bojan Miofsky's visa passport process is complete enough that he was able to travel home or travel home travel back to Aberdeen with this squad no nope, he's not so that could be an interesting one whereby Blake Samiowski are not here yet Ramadani will wait and see that might be a bit of a sticky wicket for us is because if we go into this game with like <clears throat> Ramirez up top and wait till he, wait till he hears there's no barbecue and um, <laughs> <laughs> even then he'll have to have a dig about the quality of the barbecue yeah there'll be no ribs on off or something like that <laughs> there'll be no big manny's pizza um that's a free plug i've just given there fucking what the fuck's going on in this podcast um but i still expect to still, still have enough about us to to go there and get a victory and um get the get the group stages of the league cup up and running we need to treat it as we spoke with colin i think a lot of the teams peterhead dunbar and especially in our group probably sterling albion as well we'll probably be treating this as a quasi pre-season for them they're not really going to treat it with a huge amount of they'll treat it seriously but they're not expecting to do anything in the league cup this season but for us it's as grave as you've pointed out it's it's one of the it's one of the three trophies on the agenda that we can look to win this season and realistically it's one of the two that we can look to take home so we need to get up and run and we need to make sure we're in the next round 
Yep, I agree. That's why I think it's so important. I don't really buy into this. It's just a League Cup. It represents the chance to actually win something and have something tangible at the end of a season. Therefore, we need to be at it. And potentially those guys are available. It's not great, but you've got to just hope you've got enough elsewhere in the squad and the, and the team that he puts out gets the job done. doesn't really matter how it's done because I would hope most people, you know, if it's not a particularly glamorous scoreline that we get through, hopefully most people take the view that right, it's early on in pre-season, a couple of guys couldn't play, you know, we're still doing a bit of work in the transfer window, things will get better. So don't read too much into the performance, but hopefully we get the right result. Did you get the subtext of what Graham just said there, Gary? What he just said is, don't start Connor McLennan. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't advocating for that, to be fair. Never start Connor McLennan or sub him on. This is this is an entirely long-term vendetta to have, but fuck it, I'm going to go for it. Paul Dixon signed for Peterhead. Uh, oh, fuck season. that guy. Right, so if anyone is listening from the Aberdeen first team squad, and we know you do listen, we know you have a listen, if somebody would like to go straight through that fucking wanker, I will gladly pay for 11, no, 16, 11 plus the squad, Sticky toffee puddings to be delivered to Comet Park next week in memory of Johan Foley. Oh, I mean, he's not yeah. dead. Aye, but burst I haven't his researched it. That actually is Johan Foley. It did burst his career in, in memoriam of Johan Foley's career. Because he was coming out of a game, just, actually, after. He was. A sort of. Um, yeah, Johan Foley is very much alive. So. <laughs> okay, well, that, that is a piece of good news, but the way his career ended was bad news. In memoriam of Johan Foley's career, if somebody would like to just go straight through that, absolute minker, I will be well up for that. And as I say, 16 portions of sticky toffee pudding will be delivered to Cormac Park on Monday morning, if you get it done. Is that a euphemism? No comment. And so that wraps up this first half of this week's show. <laughs> Join us after the break for part two of an interview with Don's legend, Stuart McKimmy. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to part two of the interview with Stuart McKinney, we just want to give a shout out to those of you who've made a contribution to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund. We see you. Your beer is appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee, or in my case tonight, both, thanks to my coffee stout. Lovely stuff. Mixing there's the there's someone who's not going to be sleeping tonight. It's gone well, actually. It's even got caffeine. Mm. There's a warning on the back about the fact that it's got caffeine in it. You're basically just drinking a can of Monster. <laughs> it's 20 to 10 at night. You're just going to be there lie wide awake. Other energy drinks are available. They are. That's true. That is a good point. The, the peanut butter Orinoco from Dry Grape Brewery. Lovely stuff. That's another free plug. That is an early free plug. What is going on? What are we doing? Fucking disaster stuff. Anyway, if you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers and coffees or in both, Head over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description and buy us a beer or a coffee. It is absolutely much appreciated. And last season, we were able to donate just over £4,000 to various charities around 
Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, further field, thanks to uh, you guys out there in the APZFP solar system. We did nothing really in reality. We just got some raffle prizes together and raffled them off or had some people appear as sponsors. And I know that some people out there don't like the sponsorship thing, but well, you know what? Fuck it. We don't really care. We're going to keep doing it because it means we can give money to people who deserve it. And those people not being us for the avoidance of doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Those people are not us for the avoidance of doubt. Um, That's what the Kofi money is for. That is what the Kofi money is for. We're ramping up our fundraising activities for the season ahead. And firstly, the three of us, I think stupidly agreed to commit to this between the three of us without really necessarily thinking through the practicalities of it. But we've done it now. It's out there. We're going to individually run, cycle, walk, crawl, the 2,261 kilometres that represents the distance between Aberdeen and Gothenburg. And we're going to aim to do that by the 11th of May, 2023, which will be the 40th anniversary of the Don's famous, famous victory over Real Madrid. Now I went back and worked this out. It's actually quite a slog, to be fair. Um, I think I really, really, really underestimated just how much this time it would actually take between now and May. It sounds like it's easy. It really isn't. I think it means we have to do about seven kilometres a day or thereabouts. I am currently 12.74 kilometres behind where I should be on the third <laughs> day, so it's going well. Yeah, that's good. I am currently, what am I? I'm, 20, I'm 29 kilometres in. So I'm probably, what, about Stonehaven? That's not great. I've done 8.8 kilometres, nice. whereas I should have done 21 and a half. <laughs> Gav's registered nothing, so Gav's totally fucked. Well, I mean, starting this challenge on the same weekend that I've been binging Stranger Things um, <laughs> it's already put me in a deficit, but I'm sitting roughly 15 kilometres as we speak. There we go, there we go. So you're probably just slightly behind me on the, the approach to Stonehaven. I don't know how far it is, the Stone Age kilometers. Fuck those. Anyway, for this one, we're going to donate funds split 50-50 between Aberdeen Necessities and AFC Heritage Trust. If you'd like to make a donation for this one, please head on over to justgiving.com slash crowdfunding forward slash ABZ football podcast. We'll keep you updated with how we're getting on this one right the way through the season. We've gotten to the length of May to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to happen. Graham's just currently trying to work out how he can get the ferry from wherever it is to wherever it is. I'm just going to bolt my Fitbit to it. <laughs> I'm going to bolt my <laughs> Fitbit to the dog. <laughs> See, the bonus is that, like, Gary and myself, we both have dogs that we can walk so we can get some extra steps and can't really walk a cat, can you? You can. It's just quite embarrassing. Um, and they, and they I, fucking hate it. Well, yeah, and I would be absolutely torn to pieces by said cat. So, no, I'll get my act together. I generally walk to and from work and actually that racks up the daily distance without even really having to do anything and then a bit of vibes a bit of golf a bit of not being so lazy in the evenings I'm definitely gonna definitely gonna do it. it's one of these things once it's out there and people know it that's the motivation that's required to actually go ahead and do it and especially if people are kind enough to chuck a few quid into the pot so that we can um, pass some money out to some worthy causes then again that's that's another reason to actually go out and do it. So it's it'll be good. It'll keep us going because it's easier in the summer generally to be out and about. But as it gets a little bit darker, a bit more miserable, it's that motivator to just get out, even for a half hour, wander around the, the street, wherever it may be, just keeps it all taking over. Need to build those clicks up now. That Those winter months are going to be pretty grim. Getting banked in the summer, is that your plan? That's what I'm doing. I'm getting out the bike, clicking them in. That's, that's the secret here, I think, boys. That's the secret. Anyway, we've also... 
got another one of our famous, I was going to say infamous, but that makes it sound terrible, famous prize raffles up and running as well. This time, two great prizes available. First prize, hospitality for four people in the Legends Lounge slash Teddy Scott Lounge for a game during the 2022-23 season. Now, this prize is worth the guts of 520 quid in its own right. Second prize is going to be a signed AFC shirt from the 2022-23 the campaign, signed by our new squad. You might want to hang off on renewing the voucher for this one until after transfer window finishes, I imagine. Um, if you'd like to enter for this one, each entry is £10. Just send us an email on abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com to enter. A couple of great prizes. Many, many thanks to Rob Wicks and the guys at the club who've made those prizes available to us. We really, really appreciate it. And now, without any further ado, it's time for part two of an interview with a man signed by Sir Alex Ferguson in December 1983, who won the European Super Cup against Hamburg, who scored the winning goal against Hearts at Tynecastle on the 2nd of May 1984 to secure the Dons' third league title making 561 appearances in red, which places him fifth on the all-time appearance list for Aberdeen, scoring nine goals in the process, the man who captained us to our League Cup triumph in 1995, a man who it's fair to say, after I put it out there on Twitter this week, many Aberdeen fans are surprised to find is not already in the AFC Hall of Fame. That could be our campaign for this year running, I think, boys. It's part two of our interview with Stuart McKimmy, and we pick up the story from just after the 1990 Scottish Cup final. In a way, for you at the time, there's there's not a lot of time for you to dwell on that Scottish Cup um, win because just a matter of days later, you're away with the Scotland squad at Italia 90. Just talk to us about you know that experience of it being at a World Cup representing your your country. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that you don't appreciate it. I don't think that you sit sit back and watch and you see videos and you're like, God, you played in that. But no, I mean, for me, I was going to, I was still in Dreamland again because I hadn't played in any qualification match at all leading up to it. And you were drafted into uh, into the squad and you weren't going there as the number one right back. That was my, you know, I mean, Richard Goff was the, the, right back at that time. So I was kind of going into that championship as a kind of standby, really. Um, but it was great to be part of it. I mean, it was a fantastic place to go. I mean, I very kind of go to any more passionate country than Italy. The, the Italians love their football. Uh, the atmosphere was fantastic. And, and it was great. Absolutely fantastic. Of course. We, we can't talk about Scotland in 1990 and Stuart McKimmy without mentioning your one and only goal for the national team against the then reigning world champions Argentina in March of 1990 at Hamden Park. Uh, it's got to be a special one in the McKimmy scrapbook, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the way you, I don't, I mean, how it happened. I mean, I wasn't even in the squad uh, away when, it, when the squad was announced and that game was announced. I was playing. I was in a B international the night before, supposed to be playing against East Germany. Somebody pulled out of the match. I was drafted in, and lo and behold, you were thrown in at the deep end, and you scored the winner. That's what dreams are made of. <laughs> Is that your favourite goal of your career? Um, it, it was. It's not as far out as I thought. I thought it was a lot farther <laughs> out than that. And it was only about twelve yards. So um, it was. It is. It's the one that people remember before. Nobody. Nobody ever mentions any other goal than the goal you scored against Argentina. So I'm quite happy. To, uh, except that the time the guy who scored the goal against Argentina. Uh, it's a beautiful finish. You're, you're putting yourself down there, Stuart, I think. Um, we kind of touched on it as well before. I mean, obviously winning the cup double the season before, 
you know, you kind of touched upon the fact that that maybe gave Aberdeen a sense of belief going into the following season that maybe we could go back on and challenge the title, perhaps, challenge for more trophies and kind of hopefully start up a kind of second uh, golden spell, so to speak, for the club. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, no question about it, I think Alec, Alec Smith had, had brought in uh, kind, of, kind of a lot, can be a lot of belief in myself. Uh, we're a very confident team. We had some great players, and I think uh, kind of you, you could see kind of signs that it's, it's, things could be good, definitely. And we start the season really well, uh, unbeaten for nine games to start the campaign, and then there's a one 0 League Cup semi final defeat to to Rangers at Hamden, and that's then followed up by a horrendous five 0 defeat at, at St Johnston. Over the years, there's been loads of rumours about like dressing room discontent or fallouts on the team bus or anything in the run-up to that St. Johnston match. Any shred of truth in those kind of rumours or that chat? Well, there's no, there's no truth in it because I remember somebody speaking about something, uh, something happening with Jim Better. Somebody had mentioned that to me, but there was no nothing at all. I mean, hey, that match, if you, I mean, you remember, I think David Robertson got sent off very early. He did, yeah. So I think you've got to put, I mean, you can't kind of put anything other than St. Johnston played really well against the 10 men at Aberdeen because I think, it, I mean, we could have probably scored a couple of goals uh, thinking back it because uh, we still had some great players, Hans and Hans Hillhouse and all that was there. I think he missed a uh, kind of chance or two, but it's one of these, hey, you, you didn't deprive uh, St. Johnston a moment of glory. They played really well against 10 men and, and, but no, I mean, I, I can categorically deny that anything happened on the bus. There we go. That's that's put that one to bed. That's like an urban legend, I think, amongst Aberdeen fans these days. Uh, hey, I, I am pretty honest, and I think I would tell you now because it's years ago. But no, I there's no recollection for me. There was no, there was no following anybody. I mean, I think it was just due to uh, one of these games that you lost a guy early doors and St. Johnston played really well against the 10 men. But Aberdeen, we rally from that defeat unbeaten in the league until the 8th of December before a 1-0 defeat at Hearts a shock exit from the Scottish Cup to Motherwell followed and then Aberdeen embark on a sensational run of 12 matches unbeaten 11 wins to bring Aberdeen to the brink of history and a final day shootout at Ibrox yes Stuart we have to talk about this the the Dons beat St Johnston 2-1 week before to set this up following Rangers last gasp defeat to Motherwell can you remember the atmosphere around the club following that victory and what was the week like leading up to that final game at Ibrox? There was uh, nothing different actually uh, leading up because um, we had played uh, that previous games, run of games, and we were playing with a, a 4-3-3 formation, very attack-minded. We had three strikers in Scott Boothie and Jess and Hans Hillhouse. So, I mean, you look at that strike force, that would keep any back four under a lot of pressure. Um, so, as far as we were concerned, our training week was exactly the same. We were assuming that we were just going down Ibrox and we were going to play. I mean, that, that team was, I think, available for selection. There was nobody injured in, in, in the lead-up to the Rangers game. And uh, we just assumed it was the same as the, last, the previous games. We'll get to that in just a wee moment. There's been a lot of talk that the likes of David Robertson in particular was already aware or had already negotiated a move to Rangers prior to that game. Gary spoke to David. I think David confirmed that he had actually agreed to move beforehand. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I didn't know that, so uh, I wasn't aware of that. But, um, but hey, he didn't, uh, you kind of kind of turn around and, and blame Dave, David Robertson for anything that happened in that match. So 
it, it, it's again, you can't you cannot uh, stop people progressing their career, and it was a it was a good move for him. Yeah, absolutely. Just was curious if yourself or the squad were aware of that at the time. I certainly wasn't. I, that's the first I've heard of it, so I, I certainly wasn't aware of it. No. You kind of just alluded to it there about the selection of the team. I mean, a lot of Aberdeen fans to this day still hold the belief that Alex Smith and Jockey Scott's decision to switch the system and seemingly from the outside looking and try and grab a draw is what did it for us that day. Do you feel the same way or was it maybe just one of those games where difficult situation away to Ibrox, good Rangers team, it just didn't quite work for us? When I, I, I watched that game uh, during uh, the kind of the the lockdown and I, I wanted to watch I watched it right through actually and I was I was pleasantly surprised how well we did play because we had chances and we played really well in the match but um, I, I always remember and I'd love to I've, I've said this uh, I would love to sit down with Alex Smith now to discuss this because um, leading up if I was saying to you leading up to this game nothing was different we didn't we didn't change tactics we wanted training to do uh, anything different to what we were doing we were just a, just a normal training week and then 2 o'clock on the Saturday Alex announces the team and he's changed it from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2 now even Jockey Scott was shocked at this because they had a bit of a, a set too because Jockey was obviously attack minded he wanted to go 4-3-3 let's go we've been doing great let's go for it and mm. let's win it and win it well we, nobody told us, Alex Smith, hand on heart, never ever told us to go out there negative, to look for a draw. But I think psychologically, if you're going for 4-3-3 to 4-4-2, you're putting an extra midfield man, you're, you're being a bit more cautious. Um, I think it was the wrong thing to do. I think Alec uh, felt that we were probably good enough to get that draw. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. And I think... I think in hindsight, I would love to hear if he, if he could have done things differently, would have he went back to the 4-3-3. Um, it still bemuses me uh, because I we were never aware of it until 2 o'clock in the day of the game and we were shocked because you, you can understand if you're thinking that, we're thinking that way in a Monday, you work all week, you can work all week at it and get things going and getting everybody tuned into it. You can't just throw folk in under the bus at the last minute and say that's what we're doing. So it was disappointing. Um I mean, you do blame. I, I do kind of think it was a bad move to do that. Um, but in saying that, we did play quite well on the day. And, and uh, again, hey, you're playing against good Rangers players. We had a good team as well. And uh, very, very, I mean, really, really disappointed to lose that because we were, again, we had such a great run. We played some great football and very disappointed to lose it in the last game. All the players we've had the, the privilege of speaking to. Um, have said that played that game um, have told us it's the worst moment of their footballing careers would that be the same for yourself? I've probably got worse to come yeah <laughs> but then it turned out to be good <laughs> so, so no I mean here when you look at it I mean I, I look at it in terms of well it's the last time Aberdeen came very like, close to winning the league so you're talking what's that mean it's 32 years ago my goodness uh, so I mean that, that in itself I think says enough um, it would have been I mean, it would have been nice and on the cake for me to have three. It's only, I mean, I have three Scottish Cups, three League Cups, two, two leagues. So it would have been great to get a treble in them all. But uh, for, 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 again, from a personal point, it was just very disappointing uh, to, to lose it uh, in the last game of the season. 
And the following season for Aberdeen, it's a tough one. It's clear that the wounds from the, the season before, and specifically that game at Ibrox, were not going to be easy to shake off. And defeat to Copenhagen in the UEFA Cup sees jockey Scott depart, leaving Alex Smith in sole charge. Things go from bad to worse, following a run of only two wins in 16 games. Alex Smith becomes the first Aberdeen manager to be sacked, um, a 1-0 home defeat to Hibs, proving to be the final straw. Um, what was your reaction to Alex Yeah, being given the sack? Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the hardest decisions the board would probably have to make with, uh, with regards to a manager, because... Uh, as I said at the start, I kind of he's a, a lovely, lovely guy. He's the kind of guy, yeah, kind of a father figure. Um, he did a lot of good things for Aberdeen. I mean, he, as I said earlier, he introduced uh, kind of the Dutch connection into Pretoria and brought in some really fantastic players, guys, uh, guys that can uh, and, and Ian Jess. I mean, it was him that uh, can give Ian Jess his opportunity. Scott Booth got his opportunity through him, and so I mean, I think he, I was a lot to thank him for, but I think. Just that that one game, you'll always be remembered for for that one game, and it's a shame because uh, he, he was a, a really good good manager. Tactically, he got it wrong. I, I think it, maybe the game was maybe just too big, too much, too much of a, a risk for him to take, and uh, unfortunately paid the price for it. Yeah, it's um, Willie Miller who eventually takes over, stabilizes things that season. We end up finishing. Uh, the campaign in sixth spot in the league, which is actually the lowest position Aberdeen finished in the league since 1976. Uh, what was your kind of view about Willie being put in charge at the time? And did your relationship with Willie change from him going from being kind of teammate captain? I know he'd been kind of out of the, the first team really at this point, he'd, he'd already effectively retired to then being, you know, the manager. And Willie was a, I mean, it was a strange one because Willie was, was in the real, he was a, a bit of a, a loner as a player. He didn't, uh, you can he, he didn't he he was nice. We didn't mix very well, I too well or too much with, with other players. Um, he kind of kept himself to himself. Um, whether it was the right move, I don't know because um, great players don't always make great managers, and I don't think Willie made the transition from player to manager. It, it just didn't suit him his style. Um, he, and Willie was he was a great, I mean, fantastic player, a great leader. But he just didn't. He wasn't able, I don't think, to communicate. Uh, or can players didn't react to him as a manager uh, very well. Um, it's, it's a difficult one because I think. Uh, I mean, he made me captain once. I've been mean, Alex. When Alex left, he made me. He made me. Well, he, he made big decisions actually when he came in because he made a, a bit of a clear out. He got rid of Jim Bet, uh, Robert Connor, Alan McLeish in one full swoop. And you're talking guys. I mean, Robert Connor and Jim Bet were probably only about thirty-two who. Then went on to play for Hearts, Dungeon United, Robert Connor played for the last three seasons at Kilmarnock. So he made rash decisions, I think, very early. He got rid of very experienced players quickly and replaced them, in my opinion, with guys that weren't, uh, weren't good enough to wear the Aberdeen shirts. Uh, so I, I was quite shocked and it, and it didn't work. It didn't work out for him, uh, I don't think, uh, because he did make that decision quite quickly to change it. Yeah, I mean... The first season Willie has in charge is the 92 93 one, and he brings in a number of players. He still has that core, you know, the likes of Jim Bett, uh, Art McLeish, and everything's still around at this point. But takes in the likes of Roy Aitken, actually comes in at this point. Duncan Shearer, Lee Richardson both joined from Blackburn Rovers. You're kind of in and out of the team to begin with in the season. Um, you kind of drop out completely from September. It's an away defeat at Hearts, and then you, you come back in again. It's the Scottish Cup quarter final replay against Clyde Bank. I'm presuming that was an injury 
I was out for I was out for a, a, a quite a substantial period. Uh, that was probably the beginning of the uh, my knee problems. Um, so I, I was probably out for about three months, I think. And I think I was when was that, that would have been. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, I was because I, I I started to be play play in the middle. I centre back, and uh, you, you, I was moved about a fair bit as well. It was the beginning of the kind of the knee problems. I think you would that would be reflected when you see the appearances start to kind of drop a bit. We've spoken with length with other guests about this 92-93 season because the team were playing some great stuff, a, a different style from what we'd done under Alex Smith and Jockey Scott. It was maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say direct, but it was much more designed at you know, getting the balls down the wings and, and, and throwing balls in the box with that 92-93 season where an incredible strike force of you know Duncan Shearer, Ian Jess, Scott Booth, Mixu Patalainen. Was that frustrating for you to to miss such a big chunk of that campaign as well through injury when when the team were scoring as many goals as they were and kind of flying in all the competitions? Yeah, I mean it's it's always kind of difficult when you're injured and and I was I mean with the exception I mean if you think probably my longest injury was well when I was at Dundee initially I mean I was out for three months so when I my career at Aberdeen I did I wasn't out for. I long periods. I think the longest prior to this one was yeah, I got my cartilage out and I was out for about four weeks. So <clears throat> that was probably the longest I'd been out uh, injured. And I had I was quite lucky in my early my early part of my Aberdeen career. I didn't pick up many injuries, but as my kind of the knee became a bit of an issue um, as I as, as I was getting older there and and uh, uh, kind of it was just getting getting worse and worse. And you were you were missing a lot more games more far more of this season than you would like to. And again, it's it's one of these things on reflection. That that side, the, that 92-93 side, it finishes second in all competitions to, to Rangers. In retrospect, for a lot of Aberdeen fans, in particular for myself, it's it's probably, you know, the 89-98 season is probably my first real memory of, of, of really watching Aberdeen. But that 92-93 team holds a really special place in my heart. And it's a real crying shame that that side didn't end up winning something that season. Yeah, I think I mean, he, I mean, Duncan was a he was another uh, prolific goal scorer, um, and it's uh, to have Jess and Scotty Booth playing off of him. I mean, Duncan was uh, no question about it; it was a target man. He wanted to ball in the box because that's where he scored goals. Big Mixu again, Butler, uh, Lee Richardson. He brought he brought Lee Richardson in um, again. Did a, a did a good short term job. He was only the Aberdeen a two or three seasons or something. And but no, I mean, I think uh, I mean the the, the hard can. Uh, Initially, that kind of in Molly's first like in the initial period as the manager, the, things looked pretty promising, and it looked as though you could then kick on from there. The following season is one that sees you return to being one of the first names on the team sheet. You make fifty-one appearances across all competitions. Aberdeen once again finished runners-up in the league this time by only three points to Rangers. Everyone we've spoken to from that kind of era is astounded when they learn that there was twenty-one draws across that 44-game season. So it seems like, again, once again, just too many draws uh, cost us our chance. Bear in mind, we only finished three points behind Rangers uh, that season. The preseason for the next campaign sees your testimonial match against Jack Walker's Blackburn Rovers side. Your pride at being provided the testimonial match, of course, at your at your hometown club. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was great. Fantastic. I mean, it was fantastic. That, I mean, it was part of, you know, when, you, when you signed that, the contract it was part of the deal you sign a new contract you, you can get a testimonial and to, to play against uh, Ken Blackburn Rovers who were then they had just won the, the old English First Division Championship 
Uh, and then I had Gary Douglas play come on as a in the second half to play the, in, the, in the match, and it was uh, an absolute great, I mean, fantastic occasion. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I, yeah, and he, he appreciated thank Aberdeen for 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 giving me the opportunity to do that. I mean, that's I mean, I showed loyalty. I was there for well, at that time it was just over ten years, and uh, I was delighted and uh, that they gave me that opportunity to to have my moment of glory. And you mentioned what Willie Miller did for you. Um, that preseason, it sees the departure of Alex McLeish, and you were then appointed as the club captain. Tell us about what that meant to you. It was a, a great honour. Um, little did I know what was going to happen, but it was a great honour at the time um, to be Aberdeen captain. It's a, it's a local club. Um, it, 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 you see some of the names. It's Captain Aberdeen, like some Willie Miller, Alan McLeish. Yeah, Martin Buckins, all these guys. There's been some great names before me uh, had that up, uh, can honour the to, uh, to, to captain the the club. So no, I was delighted and looking forward to hopefully some success. And we touched that earlier on, uh, Stuart. You know, the, this season is the one where a number of experienced key squad members kind of depart, including the likes of the aforementioned Alex McLeish. Lee Richardson decides it's time to head back down south. Jim Bett departs. And you kind of touched on a minute ago, but I'm kind of intrigued just to maybe delve a bit deeper in this. Do you think that part of Willie's downfall as a manager was that sheer will to win that he had as a as a player and I guess as a manager and almost being unable to f- accept finishing second to Rangers and everything and just kind of went a bit too quick with 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 moving people out and then moving people back in again and, and it leads to what eventually becomes quite a torrid season. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's what he replaced the guys with, though. I mean, I, I, I don't think... I mean, it was... When you looked at... When I spoke to you about... Um, I can buy the Fergie year up when uh, Gordon Strack and Mark McGee, Doug Rugby left, replaced him with Billy Stark, who scored probably more goals in, in Gordon Strack and uh, Tom McDougall, who probably scored as much, if not more, than Mark McGee. And then Don yeah. McQueen was maybe the one that maybe didn't play can reach a level maybe Doug Rugby but uh, but when you looked at what Willie replaced Alec McLeish Jim Bett and Robert Connor with I mean it was like uh, light and day it was, uh, night and day as far as I'm concerned uh, I think one of the replacements uh, came in was John Ingalls uh, and he paid big money I mean he paid £500,000 I think for John Ingalls at that time um, and then I th- I'm just trying to think that was that when Kil- Kiriakov and um, Svetinov came to Aberdeen at that time as well or was I think they were Roy's signings I think they were Roy's signings ah right and then you had, well you had Peter Heatherston he, yeah he, um, and then you had like Lee McKinnon another one I think he came um, but these guys and, and no disrespect to them but I mean you're, you're coming in trying to replace seasoned campaigners who have who've won and achieved Major honours, not only for Aberdeen, but played for Scotland. Yeah, and, and and almost, you know, guys like Jim Bett, I think every time we talk to anybody who played with Jim Bett, we'll just tell you how good a footballer Jim Bett was. And it's one of these, it's like, if Jim Bett had, like, I don't know, half a yard extra pace, he would be world-class. And I don't think that's even exaggerating that to say that. I mean, the thing, I think, I mean, two of that players there, Robert Connor and, and Jim Bett, were vastly underrated from the Aberdeen fans, they just didn't appreciate what these guys brought to the table. Uh, I mean, Jim Jim Bett uh, was able. I mean, he could run from end to end. Great skill, left foot, right foot. Robert Connor played the game. He was a, he had an educated left foot. Played the game, 
at his pace. Football players kind of, there's very few football players can play the game at your own pace. You're usually forced to run quicker because your opponent's putting you under pressure. Robert Connor was exceptional, as was Jim Bear, and two of the best players probably that I've played with. But they just weren't, they just didn't get the respect. Uh, they were, when the fans used to criticise both of these players, um, I can, it was, it was, it was actually beyond a joke, to be honest, because they, they deserve far more than that. They were really, really good players. Ultimately, uh, a 3-1 defeat to Kilmarnock at Rugby Park in the league in February 1995 sees Willie Miller sacked with the real prospect of relegation looming over the dawns at this point. I mean, obviously, you've done Willie since you know 1983, since you came into the, into the club. What was your reaction just to the news that Willie had been sacked? Um, I think it was... I mean, it, it was a big decision because Willie Muller was Aberdeen Football Club. Uh, but unfortunately, I mean, I, I don't was I don't think I was surprised. I mean, unfortunately for Willie, um, that as I said, I think earlier on, sometimes the best players didn't meet the best managers. And, and I think this is definitely a case that Willie management because he never went back into it. So I think it was proved that management was maybe was one, one step too much for Willie. I mean, you can't take away anything he did as a player, probably the best Aberdeen football player of all time. Um, but the transformation into management and having to stand at the sidelines as opposed to being on the field, I just didn't think it, it, it was it was suited to him. And it wasn't a, a hard, it was a major decision to do it. Um, I had to sack him because uh, this, is, this is Willie Miller. He is Aberdeen Football Club. But they did it. In hindsight as well, Willie, do you think? I mean, I think there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, when he was... Cause he was like reserve team coach, wasn't he, when Alex yeah. Smith and Jockey yeah. Scott were there. There was a lot of talk, I think, at the time or read it about that there was maybe the prospect of him going, it was Arbroath, I think, possibly as manager for a little bit. And I kind of think there's, it's not parallels with Stephen Glass and what's happened this season. Um, I'm, I'm not putting Stephen in the same boat as, as Willie in terms of a player, etc. Um, but about... Guys cutting their teeth maybe as managers at, at a lower level, um, for example, before you come to something like Aberdeen. Do you think, from, from Willie's perspective, do you think that would have stood in good stead? Or do you think it was just a case of like the standards, the, 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 et cetera, he had as a player? It was just something that would be almost impossible to to translate into management and get that out of players. Um, I mean, I think, he, I think he was put into the role um, I, I, before his time, really. I don't think he... Was ready for it, and I think I think it was. I think it might have even been the fans. The pressure of the fans naturally thought Willie is coaching the young guys. Willie is the right man to step in and do that again. People just assume he's going to do the same job as a manager as he does as a player, and and it's different because it's it's all about um, personal managing personalities, and you know, it's totally different from playing. I mean, I've, that's why I've never I've never thought about going into management because to me. There's nothing beats playing, and I think probably the hindsight, Willie might have said, "Right, I, would, I, I could have been a manager and a good manager, but I should have went elsewhere to do it." Um, because there's so the expectation was so high, they just expected Willie to bring back what he did as a player. He'll do it as a manager, and and it's a shame because he, as I say, he never went on to manage anybody else. He kind of that was the last kind of interest he had in, in the Aberdeen Football Club. Once Willie departs the board decide to replace him with Roy Aitken um Roy of course Willie had taken him in as a player and also I believe Roy was part of the management team as well what was your relationship with Roy Aitken like and what did you feel about him being the successor to Willie Miller um 
again, uh, you just kind of, I, I don't think it was the right, the right choice. I don't think bringing Roy at the time to Aberdeen and, and trying to, uh, can, he came as a player, player coach. Now, in my view, uh, you can't be both. You can't be a coach and a player. You've got to be one or the other. Um, just, for me, it just didn't work because I think people expected uh, Roy to, to be able to create what he had at Celtic and be a very, can make the team a very successful side. Um, unfortunately, I, it didn't. It didn't work in my in my view. I was I was quite surprised that Aberdeen did the same when Scott Brown went with Stevie Glass. I was quite shocked actually that uh, they went down that route again because it, in my view, it just didn't work. You can't be a player and a coach. You've got to be one or the other. You know, you kind of hear that one two in and out because. Yeah, you kind of be a grass grass at the manager and, and being one of the players' mates. Um, so no, I was I was quite surprised again that they kind of I don't know why the, the kind of, I think they've made a few bad bad choices because there's, there's better choices out there to to manage Aberdeen for sure. Interesting you say that because of course Theo Tencat, who I think was around at this kind of time, mentioned the exact same thing that he thought that Stephen Glass's biggest mistake was bringing Scott Brown in as the player coach and. You've just made mention of that, yeah, Roy Aitken being player coach at the time, it creates this almost uneasy atmosphere where, where yeah, you can't be, you can't really be part of the dressing room and you're not really part of the management staff. It's just this kind of awkward half and half situation. But yeah, we'll we'll move on. You missed the infamous defeat at Stenismere. So we don't need to talk about that one. But I got the blame for that. Though. I remember being in the stand and getting heavily criticized. I was going to ask, as club captain, were you there though? I was there, yeah, and I was getting, uh, that's what I'm saying, I couldn't believe the, the criticism I got, and I'm like, oh, God, God I'm not even playing, I'm getting criticised. <laughs> so, I know, that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a shocker, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I've been at Aberdeen when they've had a few uh, cup shockers uh, as well as some great successes, but no, uh, that was a, uh, another embarrassing, I mean, these, it's all cup ties, funny enough, because these, uh, these results seem to come up every now and again, and unfortunately, uh, been in or been part of the club when they've happened on a few occasions. And to compound things, we look doomed for relegation, though, before embarking on the most unlikely of great escapes. Um, you play in all the games in the run-in, a 2-0 victory against Celtic in mid-April. Gives Aberdeen a fighting chance. But it's the doubleheader against Hearts and Dundee United that truly gives Aberdeen hope. Uh, Billy Dodds, the hero at Tynecastle with both goals in a 2-1 victory, Sets up a straight shootout between United and Aberdeen at Pataudry. Dodds again with a vital goal and Duncan Shearer grabs the, the crucial second with a fine first-time finish with the left foot. What was the mood in the camp like going into both of these games and especially that powder keg match versus United knowing that if you lost, yeah, Aberdeen would have been relegated for the first time in, in its history? Yeah, well, I, I was captain that season so I remember it very well and uh, I had, that, I mean, I had, and I, I I, from my recollection of that uh, that season was uh, the pressure was immense. I was um, personally given I criticised heavily by the the fans. Um, I was having to kind of accept the full responsibility for the uh, weekend where we were in the league, uh, and and it was down to me being captain to to make make it different. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, it was one of these things you, you get into. You just get into a habit. Of losing, and we weren't a bad side. We had a, we had actually a good side, but we just got into this habit of losing. And then just on that one game, the first game that came, that you you got that victory, 
and then you beat, and then you beat United. Uh, you would beat Hearts, and you beat United, and then you had to go to Falkirk the last game of the season uh, as well. So we won like that three games in a row, which got us into the playoff. Um, but no, I mean, it was just relief. I mean, the pressure was. I mean, I I would just go go into the history books as captain. Or, or the only captain to be a uh, captain when Aberdeen get relegated. Never been relegated in their history, but Stuart was going to take him down. And that's it. <laughs> and that was the biggest relief ever, was uh, managing to survive. You're right. I mean, Stuart McKimmy, Stephen Glass, Ian Jess, Billy Dodds, Duncan Shearer, to name but a few. How did that team end up in that situation? It's, I mean, it's, it's confidence, I think. I mean, it's like, if you watched like Liverpool the other night there, uh, 2-0 down against Villarreal come back to win 3-2 it's confidence that team they are new they've got the confidence to win they're in a kind of winning and they know they don't know how to get beat whereas we got into this rut of losing or not winning and it was hard to get back it was hard to get and again get a win and then once we got the win it gives you confidence again so we didn't I don't necessarily think we, were, we weren't doing anything different we weren't playing any different we didn't have Different players coming in. Uh, it was just—I don't know. It just—it just changed. That that victory at Hearts just gave us a wee bit of hope that things could change, and and thankfully it did. As club captain, did you have any additional messages or instructions or words of encouragement for the team before you headed out for both of those games? I, I think when you all knew what was at stake. I mean, nobody wanted to be part uh, of of we all wanted to be part of history, but not bad history. Uh, so I mean, I, I think everybody knew what was at stake. We we didn't want to be part of that a team, the first uh, team ever to be relegated in Aberdeen history. Um, we were we were a close second. You were a close group of people as well. Can everybody got on well? You socialised in that as well. So there there was nothing in. Can there was nothing in the group that was bad. It was just it just habit of losing and then. To get that first that, that victory and then to get the victory against Hearts, then to get a victory against United, and you think right, the confidence was you know, there was a lot of pressure on us to go. We had to go to Falkirk and to beat them down there, and they a lot of pressure. Uh, but sometimes pressure brings the best out of you, and I think we were under pressure that five last five games, and and it certainly brought the best out of us. Absolutely. Ultimately, we survive automatic relegation it's Duncan United who take the drop Dunfermline are seen off in the playoff 6-2 on aggregate eventually um, likes of Stephen Glass Duncan Shearer playing big big roles in, in those playoff games that 95-96 season is much improved we eventually finished third in the league but the highlight of the season is undoubtedly the League Cup a 2-1 win over Rangers in the semi-final followed up by a 2-0 win over your former club Dundee in the final gives you the honour of being the first man to lift a trophy in five years. The first man outside Alec Miller, Alec Miller, Willie Miller or Alec McLeish since 1970. Gee. <laughs> You're the first guest we've had the privilege of talking to who has been in the position of not being Willie Miller or Alex McLeish but captaining a team to winning a trophy. Where does that rank for you in your career? Obviously you'd won leagues Scottish Cups the League Cup is often viewed as being the kind of third trophy in Scotland but for you as captain getting to lift it especially after the season that had gone before how much pride do you kind of take in that? Yeah I mean hey, it's a great honour to it's an honour to play for it was an honour to play for Aberdeen but to, uh, to, to captain them uh, to, a victory, to a victory to a cup uh, especially it's been a few years since we'd won anything and especially after the previous in the previous year but I think um, we we it just showed you the team that we had 
uh, wasn't much different uh, in that season from the, the previous season and uh, we played some great football um, we played we beat Rangers I mean that was a you know the games I think that cup final game uh, that year was always remembered for the semi-final how Woody and Jess played and how he, he made a fool out of uh, Gaza in that, in that game so um, but that was really the final wasn't it the semi-final was the game that kind of everybody was getting really interested in but no disrespect to Dundee but we won that game fairly easy we got a comfortable kind of 2-0 victory but it was great to I me mean, for to go up there and uh, kind of to, to receive the trophy to be the captain and yeah so it, kind of there's been a lot a lot a lot a lot of great moments in my my Aberdeen career but the one I always remember and will always say was the best was not was I being captain when we didn't get relegated we managed to save ourselves in relegation that to me beats any of the cups and playing the World Cups and whatever just not getting, being the first captain to, to take Aberdeen down that was more pleasing we move on to the 96-97 season. Uh, Roy Aitken is provided with substantial funds which are used to bring in the likes of Ilyan Kiriakov, Zanko Svetinov, Tony Kumbuari and Nicky Walker. But league form is disappointing and the Dons are beaten at the quarterfinal stage of the League Cup by Dundee. You're still very much in the first team but a 4-0 defeat at Dundee United on New Year's Day of 1997 ultimately is actually your final appearance for Aberdeen, a move to United confirmed on the 19th of March, 1997. Before we move on, I think we've just got to talk about the infamous incident with you giving a little bit back to the South Stand who were giving you a little bit of stick and you responded in the way of a certain finger being directed in their, uh, in their direction. In your own words, what happened there? Well, I think I think I think that was the season. Uh, I was captain at the time, uh, and, I, and I think it was that season. Uh, you're under a lot of pressure, but what <clears throat> I mean, what I found very difficult to accept. Uh, I don't mind getting criticism for making a bad pass, whatever. Can uh, somebody related football related? I don't mind. You know, you're entitled to give you can you pay your money. You're entitled to give criticism, but when. When it was getting personal, I wasn't even on the ball. The ball was away the opposite side of the corner. I was running down, and people were uh, being verbally abusive to me, my family, and 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 that to me is Nato. You don't, I don't, you don't tolerate that for anybody. Uh, and yeah, hey, it was maybe wrong to do it, but can uh, you? You've got to be in that position to hear the abuse and that you were getting, and. Uh, yeah, hey, do I regret it? Well, no, I'll probably do the same again because at the end of the day, I don't think any footballer deserves to get criticism from their own fans. I don't I mean I could understand if it was opposition fans, but your own fans to verbally abuse you that way, I just think that's unacceptable. So it's it's probably the equivalent of seeing all these modern day players getting what they get on what are what's can all the social media sites. I got it verbally in my ear and I reacted. A lot of people will say, well, it was the wrong reaction, but I say, right, put yourself in that position, see how much you can tolerate. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the three of us on the pod who normally host it would probably subscribe to the belief that if you're going to sit in the stands and give it out to players, whether they're opposition players, whether they're players in your own team, you've kind of got to expect that that might come back again. You can't get too high and mighty about that um, when that does happen. Gav just touched on it. Your your final appearance for Aberdeen uh, comes in on New Year's Day, nineteen ninety seven. You eventually make a move to Dundee United uh, the nineteenth of March. How did that move to United end up coming about? Well, 
Um, in fact, it was Nicky Walker and myself who had last appearances for Aberdeen as <laughs> goalkeeper. Um, but I, I actually, um, I, my contract was up uh, in the June that year, and on that in that game, I actually was injured. Um, so I remember in the reason I mentioned the injury is because I had to get myself fit uh, to enable myself to get another club. So for basically, when I was injured, Aberdeen <coughs> had told me that. Um, my contract wouldn't be renewed and that I was free to go. And I'm like, I said, well, how, I'm not, how can I go? I, I mean, where am I going to go? I need to get myself fit, which uh, I did, got myself fit. And um, I had a choice, actually, because uh, Alec, was, Alec McLeish was the Motherwell manager at the time. And uh, Alec was keen to get me down to Motherwell and Tommy McLean was keen to sign us for Dundee United. And, but my knee, my knee was giving me a lot of a lot of problems by that time, and I knew it was it was going to be a short term. Uh, so I made a decision because the family are based in Aberdeen. I made a decision to go to Dundee United because I wouldn't have to uproot everybody, move them away. I would just go up and down every and every day for training. Um, looking back on it, it's near the way I would have wanted to end my career because I I didn't I went there. Uh, not realising you were going to be part again, like a squad player because they, they played a three at the back then uh, it was Mark Perry Morris Marbos and Stephen Perry uh, Stephen Presley the previous season they got promoted and I think they were they did, they did quite well in Europe actually uh, but uh, it's neither way I wanted to go because I, I was very I was I played very rarely I was playing more reserve team football with the, and bringing on the youngsters than I was playing first team football so in hindsight Probably the wrong move, but I, I knew it was a short-term thing because the the knee was uh, on the verge of. Yeah, I mean, I was on the verge of finishing anyway. Did that way that your Aberdeen career kind of came to an end? Did that that hurt? Does that kind of rankle with you at all? Just the way that it all that it all ended? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think like a lot of players who leave Aberdeen, um, you never you kind of leave under a cloud a wee bit. I always remember. The day I left, Roy Higgins says, now you're always welcome to come out. door's always open to you. But when I walked out, I just knew you're not going to be welcome and you want to be going back. And it was it was very disappointing because I'd been a, I'd give 14 years service to Aberdeen and, and I could have moved twice. I could have moved uh, during my career and, uh, and it didn't happen. And uh, the first, well, I mean, the first time it it was turned down and the second time I refused to move. So, but people don't know that. You see, I, I, I mean, I had, I had opportunities to move and I didn't. Uh, and and I got heavily criticised for joining Dundee United. And you think, well, wait a minute, Aberdeen don't want me. I've got, I've got a wife, I've got a family to feed. I've got to go and play football. So uh, a lot of people kind of were up in arms about that, but they don't understand. They don't know the facts. They don't know that I didn't have a choice. My contract was finished in June. They weren't renewing it. So, I had to get myself sorted out. So, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't leave the way I wanted. Um, it was pretty. It left a bit of bad taste in the mouth. And speaking to a lot of former Aberdeen players, I think there's a lot the same. Uh, unfortunately, just because I'm nosy, um, what were the two possible <laughs> clubs you could have left Aberdeen for? Uh, a wee, a wee, the first time round, it was when Charlie when Charlie Nicholas joined uh, Aberdeen, he had an agent. And that was like the first time, I think, in my time in football that I was a football agent involved. And his name was Jerome Anderson. So when he came, he'd been speaking to me and he was saying, look, I've got a couple of clubs in England who are keen to sign you. 
He says, but they're only wanting to pay uh, 750000 for you. Uh, I had two years of my contract left, and uh, he says, but Aberdeen are looking for a million pounds. But the clubs were, it was uh, not in Forest when Brian Clough was still there in Tottenham Hotspur. So he says to me, he says, look, I, if, 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 I, I, I naively thought, I just need to tell Aberdeen, I want a transfer and they'll let you go. Uh, two years left, Alex Smith was manager. I said to Alex Smith, look, I find I'm, I just felt a bit stale uh, to progress my career, to get to play for Scotland. I think I need to move on, thinking that would be it. He says, I'll tell the board uh, what, you're, what you're saying. So he got back to me, he says, no, they're not prepared to let you go. So the agent says to me, he says, well, we can't, if you want, we can put, start putting stuff in the paper and then that will obviously maybe force a move. And I thought, well, no, I don't want to leave like that because I've don't. i got no hardship with Aberdeen. I just want to progress my career. And I just stupidly thought they'd let us go, but they wouldn't. So I ended off signing a new two-year contract uh, on the back of it. And then when Willie was manager, um, it was a game, a Scottish Cup tie, but I can't remember who it was against. I got a phone call at 11 o'clock for Willie. And he says, Stuart, you've needed to come to the ground. I says, what do you mean you've needed to come to the ground? Just do not turn up. Just stay at home. I'll meet you tomorrow down at the beach. So they played a game and then they came, he came down to the beach and he says, look, the reason why you had not to play is because there's a club interested in you and they don't want your cup tied. And he says, the club is Dundee United. They're, they're going to prepare to pay 600 grand for you. And I thought, well, I said, my exact words was, I think Jim McLean was manager at the time. And I says, look, I don't want a transfer and Dundee United would be the last team in earth I'd go to. And he says, no, that's fine by me. And he went back, told the chairman, no, he's not, he's not prepared to move. And that was it. But people don't know that. So I turned down that. I mean, they try to cash in, I think, because that would have been when. When was Willie manager? 90? From 92 through to 95, yeah. So, so this might have been maybe 93, something like that. So I was early 30s, 31, 32. So I think the club thought, oh, get 600,000 for him at that age. That would be a good game. We'll get that. But I just uh, had no desire to to leave Aberdeen uh, at that stage, and uh, but, but people don't know that. So you kind of you've turned down opportunities to move, uh, and you stay there all your career, and then that's why I always say to people, they've got to watch that you don't overstay your welcome because things that you've done previously, football, you know, everything you've done is forgotten about pretty quickly when your performances start to drop. It's, it's ironic, I guess, in a way it is Dundee United that you end up. Um, moving to in the end um, you kind of touched on earlier on obviously the, the knees starting to really give you problems at this point now you end up making 14 appearances for Dundee United in total your, your last game uh, coming in November of 1997 but all in all on a more positive note your Aberdeen career sees you make 561 appearances in Red Street which places your fifth on the all time appearance list and with a trophy hall which includes one European Super Cup two league titles three Scottish Cups and three league cups you finish your career with 40 caps for Scotland including appearances at the 1990 World Cup and the 1992 and 1996 European Championships I actually saw a photo of you in action I think against CIS and I completely forgot about the fact you had the number nine shirt at the 92 European Championships which is hilarious when you look back on it for for those younger listeners at the time the, the squad numbers used to be dished out in alphabetical order as I recall well I know for that you know what the reason for that was it was the amount of caps you had that's right sorry caps that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So because uh, I think Ali McCoy's was number two or three. That's right. Yeah. That. But well, we say it was to baffle. It was to baffle them. <laughs> they thought I was a striker. Ali McCoy's was a defender. <laughs> um, so all in all, you know, it's it's a it's a stellar stellar career, uh, both for Aberdeen and for Scotland. Stuart, listen, we we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. And listen, we'll we'll wrap things up here. We've taken up way too much of your time already. But this will be the same question that we ask all of our guests. We finish all of our interviews with uh, Stuart McKimmy. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Um, well, I mean, as I as a kid, I wanted to be a football player. Um, Aberdeen gave me uh, my dream. Um, I I got I played in some great teams. and won some great uh, a lot of trophies. Had a lot of good times and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time and I've, I would love to do it all over again. I would love to start it all over again. And, and I, I was thinking there's things you may, maybe you do differently, but on a whole, I had a fantastic time, a great football career and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Stuart McKimmy, thank you very much for joining us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Stuart, we appreciate it. Stand free. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 52, where we're back to reviewing games, boys, as we get to review our opening fixture of the campaign at Peterhead. We preview our games with Dumbarton. And amazingly... We get to preview our match with Sterling Albion in the company of the Sterling Albion manager, ex-Don, Darren Young. We'll bring you an extended interview with Darren as well. And we'll bring you all the latest news from Pataudry and Cormac Park. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. I tell you what, if that review is a copy and paste from last season, I quit. (laughs) 